1: You know, this is the point on a Monday where I start looking around going, do I have everything? I haven't done a show since Friday. And I know this sounds really weird, but it does make a difference. You know, when I do radio every day, you know, come like Wednesday, Thursday, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I just roll right into it. Monday, it's like, do so I have my water? <laughs> you know, the seat adjusted you Yeah, I do. That. I look around, and go, do I have my books and stuff and all my materials? And Well, because Mondays I get two days to prepare for. Them. Well, actually, I kind of set up a whole week. Uh, over the course of the weekend and decide what I want to do. This is World Economic Forum Week, because I'm calling it World Ending Forum. I just made that about five minutes before the show. So the World Ending Forum uh, is what's happening in Davos, Switzerland. And I guess they're hiding. I mean, they don't do it in a nice you know, place where we can all go protest. Uh, the Swiss aren't really gone on protesting. Now, I, I love Switzerland, and I've forgotten how it came up, but somebody made uh, some kind of post about the Swiss, and I've forgotten the exact context, but it's like, you know, Swiss are pretty independent. Oh, Swiss being neutral. Uh, the Swiss were not neutral in World War II. The Swiss were very much nationalist defending of their country and very proud of their country. And uh, the fact that the, because they're also so, so well-armed in Switzerland, that nobody's invaded Switzerland in over 400 years. And that includes the Nazis, you know, Kaiser, Wilhelm, uh, Bismarck, you know, uh, a bunch of folks, you know, the Stalin, you know, anybody else that wanted to conquer Europe. Uh, they, they didn't want to Switzerland because they got two things, you know, mountains and guns. And so because of that, the Swiss are fiercely independent. Why the Swiss tolerate the world-ending forum, I have no idea. Why don't you start calling it that? That's our new, our new word for the day. I have an announcement. And now Action Radio's new word of the day. It's actually three words. So I'm going to start calling it the world-ending forum. So the world-ending forum is what they're designed to do. This, 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 this world-ending forum is designed to end the world, literally. Uh, it is a collectivist, fascist, government, corporate cabal of insane people power-hungry, megalomaniac-obsessed, dangerously world-terroristic people that get together and reinforce their own psychopathy once a year. That's what's going on at the World Ending Forum. And I've got the program. I've been reading this stuff. I've been looking at the people into this. Uh, the guys all like, look like nerds. And uh, I don't know. The, the women look it's, – it's weird. <laughs> look at these people. They look like uh, – it's, it's like if you took all of your worst principles – all right. And your worst, you know, high school librarians and put them all together, you'd have the world ending forum. Those are the people who are doing it. Uh, a couple of names come to mind. Uh, Raymond, Is it Raymond? Fink. Mr. Fink, the head of Blackstone. He's there. Governor Kemp of Georgia. A big surprise. He's there. Uh, Chris Ray, the head of the FBI KGB. Of course, he's there. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of people at the world ending forum. It's a very, uh, very interesting collection of people. They have some articles and, and different things they'll be going over during the course of the show. Uh, so I have more than enough material for today. In fact, we're, I got the grant for today. We're, we're going to talk about this every day. I'm going to spend some portion of the show uh, on what's going on at the World Ending Forum. And I really want you to incorporate that into your into your lexicon, if it were. If you can just start saying World Ending Forum every time that you, this comes up, then that, that, hopefully that will catch on. And that's, uh, that's what's happening. Okay, so it's ironic that... Um, you know, one of the greatest individualists, uh, the champion of civil rights, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, they're celebrating his birthday today. I, know, I guess this is not exactly his birthday, but it, because of the Monday holiday law, uh, today is Martin Luther King Day. Now, isn't it ironic that the world's greatest world ending forum, the, the greatest, you know, gathering of collectivists <laughs> happen to be starting their forum on, a, I mean, symbolism is every one of these people, right? are starting their, their forum on the same day that, um, that we celebrate uh, the greatest individualist, you know, and civil rights is all about individual rights. Civil rights is individual rights, practiced individually by individuals. That's what it is. Don't, don't kid yourself. That's what it's always been. That's what it always will be. Rights are always individual. So whether civil rights, constitutional rights, bill of rights, anything to do with rights, it's always individual, unless it's a variation, unless it's its opposite. You know, human rights, uh, collectivist rights, you know, uh, all that other kind of stuff. UN Declaration of Human Rights is not, is not human rights. It's an oppression document. It's an oppression document designed to take away your rights. It's designed to, to transfer power to the world government to tell you what your rights are, how you can exercise them, and how you have to exercise them based on what everybody else, they say everybody else you know, has, can do. All right? So in other words, a human right is dignity. Okay? Well, that implies income because <laughs> okay? how can you lead a dignified life if you don't have enough income? And where does that income come from if you don't have it? Well, everybody that does have it. Okay, so that's, that's a communist Marxist transfer from those, uh, you know, according to their means, in other words, what they've worked for, uh, to those according to their needs, you know, in other words, people want without working for it. Uh, that's, so that's, that's the Declaration of Human Rights. And I think a lot of the, the World Ending Forum starts from this Declaration of, of Human Rights, the UN Declaration, that started when the United Nations, which is anything but, uh, started at the end of World War II. I think Bretton Woods you know, and I know they started in San Francisco. I used to talk about them on my, on my tour when I was a tour guide there. So that's what's going on. So we celebrate without celebrating, you know, one the, of well, the world's great individuals, who believe in individual rights, Martin Luther King, at the same time uh, as the World Ending Forum gets together to take away our rights, control our food, control our lives, limit the population, um, think that they're the best and the brightest when they're actually the worst to commit uh, world suicide. And I think it's time that the World Ending Forum was labeled a world terrorist organization. And that's something I want to get to the Trump campaign. So Trump campaign, if you're listening, you know, you folks, except for Jared Kushner, because he's there, you know, he's at the World Economic Forum, too. He's he's on the guest list, uh, as are some other interesting folks. So Jared Kushner is not going to be listening to our show today. He'll be attending uh, How How to End the World at the World Ending Forum in in Davos, day one, and probably through the whole thing. But um, if anybody can get word to anybody, I mean, uh, Republican Party, you guys listening, too? This is a great opportunity for you guys. All right. So, I mean, I I, I throw out these freebies for you. You hit me up on it. But quite simply, if you start calling it the World Ending Forum uh, and start calling it the Declaration of No Rights, (laughs) that's what they talk about. You know, uh, no food, no property, no nothing. You know, basically, no property, naked, and eating bugs. That's their plan for you. No property, naked, and eating bugs. Why do I say naked? Because you don't have any possessions. Imagine no possessions. Yeah. So the theme song of the World Ending Forum is probably John Lennon's Imagine. You know, imagine you have absolutely nothing, no God, no property, no rights, you know, no, 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 nothing. You know, that's that's John Lennon's world. And you'd be happy with that. I don't think so. So if you ever actually read the words to imagine, you realize, well, I will will never sing it. You know, uh meaningfully on this show, other than to just poke fun at, uh, at these globalist marxist communist dictators, it's the same old story, and what's that uh cheer fears? Everybody wants to rule the world, yeah, these guys do they do they really think, and here the worst part about it is they believe their own propaganda, they think intellectually they're right because they're the the richest, baddest you know you know, jerks on the planet that they can tell everybody else what to do simply because they uh, screwed everybody else, lived on the trust fund, whatever they did to get all this this power and wealth. Uh, and uh, some probably, you know, maybe had decent, honest businesses and worked hard. Maybe probably a different family member did. And these arrogant trust fund people have taken over. And uh, well, I should look into the history of Klaus Schwab. Let's see where Klaus comes from. Yeah. So here's the, here's the person in charge of the world ending forum Yeah. And so, well, we'll take a look at Mr. Schwab, not to be confused with Charles Schwab, the investment person, those two totally different people. So I'm sure he gets it all the time. Charles Schwab, you know, good American capitalist, industrialist, low cost stockbroker, decent person, made a fortune. Good for him. Love it. He's not there. I didn't see Charles Schwab. You would think, you know, Charles Schwab and Klaus, you think with a with – probably, you know, they probably have a common ancestor back, you know, a couple hundred years ago, right? But, uh, but I didn't see Charles Schwab on the guest list. Why? Because he's an independent, free thinking, and decent American. In fact, I don't think there there isn't a, an independent, decent, free thinking American at the World Economic Forum. Simply wouldn't be invited. I wasn't invited. <laughs> you, know, you don't see citizen legislation at the World Economic Forum. You know, and so this is this is all quite fascinating to me. All right. So let's get to the main point today. Let's celebrate the good stuff, and then I'll give you the bad stuff in the last hour. In the middle hour, we have uh, Jonathan Mosley, and so Jonathan, I don't know what he's going to talk about. It should be, uh, should, I think he's going to talk about this bill by uh, this racist uh, uh, black supremacy bill by uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, and so I'll talk about that too. In contrast to Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech, which I'm about to read, and so let me get to that here. In uh, in, in, well, in fact, let me pull it up right now. This, I'm sorry, this always chokes me up. So if I get emotional when I read this. You know, I'm sorry. I'm just going to apologize right now because I can't read stuff like this without, uh, without getting emotionally involved because it's, uh, it's an incredible speech. It's one of the best speeches ever made anywhere. You know, I mean, you, you, you can stack up, you know, Cicero and Rome and, you know, all those other folks throughout history. Uh, well, you know, it's true. Let's say the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus is a little bit better, but this is really good. Um, so what, what Martin Luther King, and again, I'm not a civil rights expert. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't, I wasn't there, you know, I was a little young, you know, for the actual fight. Um, but uh, because I was really small, you know, when uh, Martin Luther King was, uh, you know, preaching and, uh, and leading the civil rights movement. And so this, had, and I wasn't even in the country. I was in Canada and Australia. So I kind of learned about it, you know, after getting here. Uh, I learned that civil rights is not what I expected it to be, you know, everybody judged on the uh, um, not the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And then, of course, at 16 years old, I hit affirmative action and I'm told I can't have a job because I'm a white person. Right, so now I'm finding out. Well, what Martin Luther King said doesn't apply anymore. I was judged on the the color of my skin and not on the content of my character or my capacity for employment at my very first summer job. Uh, that's that's another story. So uh, I have a direct uh, personal involvement in the Civil Rights Act uh, in supporting it for everybody, and that would include me, <laughs> because you can't you can't uh, rev- you can't fix things, you know, by by reversing the victimhood. So in other words. Um, you know, and I say have affirmative action. I said this for a long time. You know, the qualified don't need it and the unqualified don't deserve it. And as far as it goes, you can't punish white people for slavery today, you know, because a you know, the white person's country owns a slave. You can't reward black people today because no black person today was a slave. So in other words, and it's the same thing with affirmative action. You can't reward, you know, younger folks today who never suffered racial discrimination. Um, and, and punish you know, people today who never caused it. <laughs> that's not going to be the cure of the problem. And yet that's exactly what's happened in the civil rights movement. It's become re-segregation or just plain old segregation. So the Democrat Marxist deep state Republican gelding answer uh, to civil rights is to reimpose segregation in many aspects. You know, uh, the segregation, there's intellectual segregation, ideological segregation, there's thought segregation, uh, there is a political uh, segregation. There's all kinds of segregation going on today. You know, there's censorship from that segregation. And segregation is alive and well living in, in the Marxist, deep state, uh, Democrat gelding, Republican, you know, entity. That's where it is. So I want to read Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech because I want to tell you where we started. You know, what was the dream? And that the, the dream should have become the reality because the dream was very good. one uh, of the best dreams ever in terms of equality. It's always, and it's about, this is actually a patriotic speech. It's probably why I don't hear it today. Okay, it's a patriotic speech. It celebrates America. It celebrates the Bill of Rights. It celebrates our independence. It celebrates all the things that the left wants to take away. See, the left will talk about Martin Luther King, but quite frankly, I don't think they can stand Martin Luther King because Martin Luther King was an American, was a patriot, believed in the the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Uh, He believed in in all the things that uh, all of us patriots believe in, you know, and so we're all the same. We're all the same in terms of America, you know, America first, making America great again. You know, uh, Martin Luther King was MAGA. (laughs) Well, that would be an interesting line. Martin Luther King was MAGA. Martin Luther King was make America great again Uh, or just make America great. And how he wanted to make America great was to include everybody. Okay. America could not be great um, when there's segregation. It could not be great when when black people were less than white people or any other people in the country. It could not be great when anybody is less than anybody else. Uh, And yet that's the thing today of, of, uh, and I'll get to Sheila Jackson Lee's, you know, black supremacist bill. Uh, demonizing white people and, and white persecution and everything else, you know, it's quite fascinating that this is how far we've come. So we'll get there. So let me do the speech right now, uh, and then after this, I know I'm going to need a break, uh, just because. So um, just imagine uh, you're there uh, on the wall in Washington, uh, and I've got the article here. It's a text from. Let me just get my website source so people know. Uh, it's from. It's from the Huffington Post. <laughs> so, well, hey, listen, they didn't change the word, so it's okay. So Huffington Post published this. Uh, January 17th, 2011. So it's, it's an older uh, thing. But it's still, I mean, the speech hasn't changed, right? Updated, you know, 2013. So I guess they played with it a little bit. But the Huffington Post published this, uh, the I Have a Dream speech, the text, the actual text, text of what Martin Luther King said. Now, it should give me some background as to when it was 60. Oh, here we go. So let me just read it. It says, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is celebrated today, January 17th, uh, just two days after he would have turned 82 years old. And, of course, that now is like ninety-four. So this is from eight years ago. He says, it's a great day to revisit the I Have a Dream speech he delivered in 1963 in Washington. Scroll down to read the text in full below. Want to see MLK Jr. himself deliver I Have a Dream speech? You can watch it and then have a link. So if you haven't watched the speech, I highly recommend you do it. You know, so go, In fact, you could go to, to YouTube anytime uh, and see the speech. What's, uh, what's great about it? is that, the, you know, they haven't adulterated, they haven't changed it. But what, uh, what the left and the, the government has done is they don't listen to it. <laughs> of course not. They can't listen to it because what it says, well, let me just read it for you. And I will try, uh, I will try my best here to get through this um, just because it's, uh, it's, it's very powerful and very, uh, very personal for anybody that's done anything with civil rights, including, you know, us immigrants, <laughs> you know, discriminated against. You know, I was a minority of one. You know, people and I used to say, look, I know what it's like to be a minority and then laugh in my face. Well, oh, you're a white guy. Really? You try being uh, uh, an immigrant to the United States, you know, going to an American junior high school where the white kids hate you because you're Australian and the black kids hate you because you're white. You know, I, I walked into busing in Boston. So don't think for a second that I don't know what it's like to be a minority. At least the you know, when we talk about the, the, the black kids being the minority, at least there were other black kids. <laughs> there was nobody, nobody that was, quote, like me. And so I know exactly what it's like to be a minority. In that spirit, I read this to you. He says, use the full text of the I Have a Dream speech. Martin Luther King says, I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon of light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languishing in the corners of American society and finds himself an exile in his own land. So we have come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds, that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we have come to cash this check, a check that will give us, upon demand, the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quick sands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. I'm just going to scroll down a little bit here. I'm having a little mouse problems today, so please excuse the interruption. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights the whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But there is something that I must say to my people who stand on this warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. As we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, "'For whites only.'" We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote, and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from the narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi, go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and the ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right here right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made law. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we'll be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we'll be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with a new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of new hampshire let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of new york let freedom ring from the heightening alleghanies of pennsylvania let freedom ring from the snow-capped rockies of colorado let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of california but not only that let freedom ring from stone mountain of georgia let freedom ring from lookout mountain of tennessee of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. (sighs) Yeah. So think about it. Read it. Read it out loud. If you've never read a speech out loud, uh, there's something that happens internally when you read a speech. And so, you know, I hear Martin Luther King's voice in my head, you know, and uh, you live it. And if we can live those words, if, you know, what we do here at Action Radio, no, it's not the same thing. But it's still about freedom. It's still about individuality. And I still want this country to live up to the same promise. You know, we have to live up to the Bill of Rights. We have to live up to the Constitution. We have to live up to the Declaration of Independence. It's our turn. You know, we have to have that same dedication that Martin Luther King had to throw off the oppressive forces, the Marxists, the communists, the fascists, those that would take our freedom away. We have exactly the same struggle. We need to, to change the struggle. You know, it's not a black and a white or a Jewish or a Christian. In fact, we have to get rid of all these sides. We have to become Americans again, you know, as we were supposed to be and join together. It's, it's individual Americans versus the oppressive forces. That's the battle. That's where we are. That's what it's all about. Oh boy. <laughs> I think, uh, let me, um, play a bit of music here and, uh, I think it's time for a little Stars and Stripes Forever. Let me just scroll down here a little bit. I need a break. <laughs> I'll be right back in a few minutes. Well, I bet you don't hear those two combined very often. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech with uh, the Stars and Stripes Forever. But what strikes me every time I read the speech, uh, and I probably don't do it enough, um, but I certainly do it every Martin Luther King Day, uh, is how American the speech is, how much it talks about our founding and our, our, our constitutional, civil, and individual rights, and how this is the promise that was made you know, back with our founding, with the, the, with the Bill of Rights, with the Declaration of Independence, with the Emancipation Proclamation, with the other documents that we hold sacred. And so it it makes perfect sense that, you know, Martin Luther King Day is celebrating, you know, America, celebrating Americanism, American exceptionalism. This is the place where everybody can and certainly should be free. And that's what it's all about. So actually, the more I think about it, it makes perfect sense to play the Stars and Stripes right after reading I Have a Dream. Besides the fact that, as I thought, as I knew it happened, I get kind of emotional uh, just because. All right. So I got a new sponsor. It's, it's It's my local mechanic, actually. Really cool dude. And so we've got uh, these folks here. So let me play uh, uh, a commercial for some decent folks here. And I've got a couple of other commercials, and then I'll be uh, I'll be right back. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive. Conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street So hopefully we'll uh, encourage more and more businesses to support Action Radio both locally, uh, statewide, regionally, nationally, and of course then internationally as we are an international movement for freedom uh, through citizen legislation. Be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklo's Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. to the answers no one has thought to consider to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Yeah, I like to think we prove that every day that uh, there's nothing we're afraid to take on, including labeling the the World Economic Forum as the World Ending Forum and declaring them an international world terrorist organization uh, dedicated to destroying everything that everybody holds sacred, you know, individual rights, individual property, uh, the ability to raise our families as we choose to uh, uh, to go, to travel freely, uh, to live freely, to have our choices of energy, you know. Uh, it, it's really ironic um, now that I think about it in uh, the bill of rights uh, the Australian the bill of individual rights. I worked on with uh, with Jen Clark uh, of Australia. One of the rights is, is to have uh, is the free choice of energy <laughs> so and it, it never is more appropriate than these idiots who are trying to take away uh, gas stoves uh, and gasoline cars because they want you in mono energy. They want you in government energy. You know, it's it's the old communist thing, control the means of production. Well, in this case, control the means of energy. So no pipelines, no no free oil, no buying as much gasoline as you want, no driving a 1967 Corvette like Brandon. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I'm, I posted, I said, this is not green energy because he's driving a green Corvette, right? Uh, so I, a lot of other people are starting to pick up on that, which is kind of funny. No, we all can't do it together. I didn't, I didn't inspire everybody. I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, but I have a great web person that, that helps me make these little memes. Anyway. Point being that um, that's where we are. And this is what's happening. And it's, it's, it's really, uh, uh, it's up to us to keep our independence going. So keep the spirit of Martin Luther King, you know, not just civil rights, but constitutional rights, individual rights. Let's get that promissory note. You know that was uh, that was written in our founding, and and let's make sure it uh, it comes back. We have to get rid of the uh, the, the the Marxist, the, the the deep state. You know we have to remove these people from office. You know, vote them out, elect them out, impeach them out, do anything you can. But they fire them. <laughs> They've got to go. We've got to get these people out of government, or we're never going to have our freedom. And so that's, this is why there's something that uh, Donald Trump talked about um, in, in the later stages uh, of his first term. Of course, we're, we're sort of in the middle stages of the second term. But anyway, uh, it was Schedule F. And Schedule F reclassifies most of the federal government employees uh, into a place where they can be fired and where they can have performance reviews, where they can be judged for actually doing something. And so that is one of the most critical things he did. He didn't hear about it, um, but, uh, and I think that's a major reason of, of the impeachment and the removal, is that all the government employee, the employees of the deep state were afraid that they were going to be reclassified into a place where they'd be like the rest of us, to get fired for, for either not doing their job or doing something they're not supposed to do. So. Getting back to uh, civil rights and, and what happened, uh, I, and, you know, somebody has a really good, well, I just funny, Pianchi just popped on the line, I was just going to say, if someone has a good take on the history uh, of the civil rights movement, you know, what happened after Martin Luther King was assassinated? Uh, what happened, you know, the rise of Jesse Jackson and Alice Sharpton and, and even Louis Farrakhan? And like I say, I'm not as well versed on this part of history as I should be. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting. Well, Pianchi, what, you know, help me out here. What happened? How do we get from, from Martin Luther King, you know, uh, his speech, his I Have a Dream speech in 1963, to Sheila Jackson Lee, you know, and this is something Johnson's going to talk about uh, in the next hour, her bill that uh, this 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 uh, black supremacist, you know, white you know, supremacist bill, it's an absolute racist bunch of trash that she introduced into Congress. Fortunately, it won't go anywhere um, because the Democrats don't control the House. But how do we get here? Pianchi, good morning.
2: Well, good morning. No, after the after the civil rights era came to an end then sprung up the Black Power era. Okay.
1: You had two
2: you had two prominent factions, but many factions mm-hmm. that uh, didn't get their recognition because of the actions of the news media. News media is the most systemic racist group that the country has. So it went to the Black Power Movement, went to the Black Panthers, Stokey mm-hmm. Carmichael, right. and some others. Those in civil rights, like Whitney Young, uh, they detested Black Power. But, uh, you know, they couldn't do anything to it because their spokesperson was gone. And then the spokesperson of the younger group came forth and uh you know they began to have their day in the sun.
1: yeah everybody wants their fame you know and it's too bad that if if fame is your goal then you're going to lose your mission you know, and I always, I always look to myself whenever I'm doing action radio and talking about some of the things that we're trying to accomplish here, I always have to look, is this for me, <laughs> is this for my ego, you know, or is this because it's the right thing to do? I'm always asking myself that question because I think it's the only way I'm going to keep my perspective, especially when the show gets huge. You know, I, I have to be very careful that I don't lose track of, of who I am and where I'm going and, and what, what this is all about. Cause it's about freedom. It's about liberty. It's about everybody else. It's not about me. And I have to, to constantly, you know, reinforce it. It's not a problem now, but you know, let's see what happens when I have, you know, 10 million listeners might be a different story. Um, but these groups, the black, you know, so, so help me out with my history here. Cause I'm not as, uh, not as good on the timeline. So Malcolm X rose to power during civil rights before Martin Luther King Jr. Was assassinated or after, I'm not really sure how that works. Do you remember?
2: Well, they were running in, they were sort of running parallel. Like I said, you have two different ideological groups. Right Mm -hmm. now, you got over, We got about 170 different black separatist groups. And you probably only hear the baby about one. So that uh, proved the notion that all blacks are not the same. Conditions that they were talking about Mm -hmm. in uh, going on in the South was not going on in the North. Uh, Some of the things they said about Lincoln just was not true. Mm -hmm. But uh, every, you know, you don't come to tear down. People uh, have gravitated to uh, uh, Martin Luther King, which was an elegant person. Uh, He had his day in the sun. No one knows who the next John the Baptist is going to be.
1: Yeah. Well, he preached nonviolence. I mean, he was a big student of of, uh, Mahatma Gandhi in India. You know, nonviolence works and and brought about huge amounts of change. And then it seemed like uh, other groups, uh, especially uh, Black Panthers and uh, uh, maybe Malcolm X, believed that violence does work. And I think that was probably the downfall. Because, you know, you attract a lot of attention with violence, but I don't think you really accomplished anything. But I think people feel that as a last resort, that if we don't do violence, you know, we're not – You know, we're never going to get anywhere. And so that's where the problem comes in. So how do we get from from nonviolence to violence?
2: When everything else doesn't work, which you are looking at today. Right. That
1: makes a lot of sense. And this is my When you're trying it as a
2: ballot, when you're trying it with uh, reforms, when you're trying it with COS, Convention of States, Mm -hmm. uh, when those things work, then people – will stop letting themselves be pushed around and uh, have things taken away from them.
1: You know, that's the – and I look at the World Ending Forum. That's what I'm calling it now, the World Ending Forum uh, in Switzerland. And one of the people that's there is Pritzker, uh, Governor of Illinois, who just signed a blatantly unconstitutional law uh, further restricting firearms, something he cannot do. He can't legally do it. He can't physically do it, and yet he did it anyway, and people are going to go along with it. Uh, except for a bunch of county sheriffs who said they're not going to enforce it, to which he said, you have to enforce it, it's the law, proving he has no concept of the Constitution, of of the supremacy of constitutional law over anything that he does uh, in terms of guns, unless it's regarding the criminal use of guns. The only place the government can have anything to do with guns at all is the criminal use of guns. So someone has to take an action before the government can get involved, because the right to keep and bear is absolute and can't be touched. You know, until someone crosses it, that it, line it, it, and it uses depends. them. Yeah, go ahead. But he's there. If he's yeah, there. He's the,
2: the sheriffs are doing it the right. They nullify the law. Mm-hmm. Now, when King and the civil rights movement nullified the law, they were praised for nullifying the law. Right? Mm-hmm. Think about
1: yep. it. Yep. Yep.
2: When it was the law says you can't eat at this lunch counter, they said we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. So they nullified the law. So when the sheriff nullified the law, which is protecting the, you know, standing up for the Constitution, and mm-hmm. we know that it's the conservatives more so that would do that than those on the other side, then all of a sudden they're wrong. So, so that's just so, the way it works. You got to fight back against the preachers and so on. Preachers and them will, and Biden, they will put in place laws that are unconstitutional. You talked about uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. That's exactly what she's doing. She Mm -hmm. represents a district in Texas. Mm -hmm. That's her constituents. So she's trying to introduce a law that's going to encompass the entire United States where you have districts that's not being exposed and suffering or experience what she's trying to alleviate in her own district. Her power should go no further than her own district, and it should be controlled by the state legislature. Until you get back to that, if you can, then the ultimate is going to be what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but these people believe that that what's good for for them locally is good for everybody else nationally, and they're going to impose it whether we like it or not. And that's just the, that's the philosophy of any totalitarian. Um, but I'm curious now, white folks are involved in civil rights. Uh, were they Republican, conservative? Has, has that even been documented? You know, we always think that it must have been liberal Democrats who were involved in civil rights, which is absurd because it was liberal Democrats that were causing segregation. So, has anybody? I've never really looked into this, but I'd be curious of, of the of the white folks that were helping out with civil rights. Who were they, and and what was their what was their background? Do you have any insights on that, or is it something I should look up?
2: They were liberal. White, Malcolm X about it. Okay, say so your 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 march would be going one direction, and they would lead you off to another. Hmm. But but then you
1: think about the battle for civil rights in Congress. It was the Republicans who supported it, and the Democrats who filibustered it.
2: So well, yes, yeah, it always been that way until after 1964. Uh, Before 1964, and through that act, it was always the conservative, or you want to call them Republican, I don't call them Republican. I say that the Republican Party will push forth more ideas and platforms Mm -hmm. that's more conducive to conservatives than the Democratic Party will. So that's exactly what you had.
1: Well, here's another question. Martin Luther King, what, what do you think of Johnson? Because if I remember my timeline, he was assassinated in 1968. Uh, the I Have a Dream speech was is 1963. Kennedy was assassinated the same year as the I Have a Dream speech, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Johnson takes, takes power, and he brings about the Great Society, which is, you know, if anything has been destructive of black families, it's the Great Society. In fact, families in general you know, paying single women to, uh, you know, give them, a, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, you know, housing, food, and everything else uh, so that, uh, you know, fathers need not apply, you know. And so, does Martin Luther King have judgment on that that he's written about? Again, these are things I, you know, I think about now on the show that, you know, it'd be interesting to look up.
2: What Johnson done was political. Mm-hmm. The Democrats wanted to encourage, wanted to in, uh, intrude into the South, the southern vote you still see that you right. see that uh, with Stacey Labor, right you mm-hmm. see that with uh warnock and uh, the other guy i can't think of his name uh you see that with what they're saying that they want to turn tex- texas purple so they want us the, want to uh either change the hearts and feelings of the people in the south or presently they want to insert a contingent into the south uh, where it can grow and become blue.
1: You know, sometimes they talk about the, the South as this great reversal where the South was um, Democrat and racist. <laughs> and all of a sudden then the Republicans, you know, got a hold in the South and then it somehow reversed and became Democrat. The, the, you know, the, the blacks supported the Democrat party again, the party of segregation. And yeah, uh, that just seems to be a bunch of nonsense to me. You know, now the Republicans are back strong in the South. But uh, it's just, but this idea that uh, the Democrats went from being the segregationists to being the, the, the individualist party is just absurd. They've always been segregationists. They, they were the party of slavery. They were the party of the Confederacy. People, most people don't know that, that the Confederacy was the Democrat Party, you know, and then it advanced all the way up to, to George Wallace and uh, Bo Conner and all the other segregationists, the oppressors, you know, and they haven't changed. They're still into the racism thing, and it, it's evidenced by Sheila Jackson Lee and her latest bill. John, John is the one that actually brought it up, so I'm kind of saving it for him. But you know, there's the perceptions perceptions become reality when when the big lie is told often enough. That uh, the, the people that are you know proclaiming to be the uh, the, the uh, I guess the descendants of Martin Luther King and civil rights and fighting for the people are the very ones oppressing. It's a really weird twist. Well, a um, lot of people fall for it. The
2: South. See, that's where we get confused when we start using these political titles, Democrats okay. and Republicans. Hmm. The South was patriotic. The South was for the Constitution. The South was for the liberties and for states' rights. Basically, they were uh, putting forth conservative views. hmm Whereas on the other side they were what you see going on today. Tearing things down. Tearing away your gun rights. Not letting parents have uh, control over their children.
1: Well that's not happening in the it's South it's
2: happening in,
1: in like California, Minnesota, you know, Massachusetts, the liberal states. That's where most of that's
2: yeah, been done. It's a Greg it's an idea that has been placed under a particular banner, mm-hmm. one or two of any prominence, that's Democrats or Republicans.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you on labels. It makes a lot of sense. I want to go back to civil disobedience because you, you, I think I want to explore that a little bit more in what we can do today. So back in California, uh, back when uh, we had actually had uh, sort of a, a conditional open carry, and I was part of the open carry movement and we used to go to Starbucks and, you know, and went to this pizza restaurant in Walnut Creek and various other places. And of course we talked to the owners ahead of time and anywhere from 20 to 40 of us would show up openly carrying our firearms, uh, which had to be unloaded and you could have your, your ammunition on the other side of your hip, you know, and, and so you had the gun on one side and the ammo on the other. It was kind of interesting actually. And we go to restaurants, we go to coffee places, we just kind of hang out talk to the customers and say, yeah, we believe in open carry We want to, uh, you know, make this uh, for everybody and, uh, you know, and if, you know, and we wanted it to be loaded in the, like normal, you know, like, like normal self-defense. Uh, and then eventually the government did what the governments do and they took away the right to, to even any kind of conditional open carry and you couldn't show a firearm at all. Uh, but that's about disobedience, you know, in, in a way. I mean, we, yes, we were complying with the law, but we were doing it in a, in a very interesting uh, way that was not anticipated. What I wanted to do was have a Second Amendment barbecue, an open carry barbecue uh, of fully loaded firearms in Golden Gate Park. And, of course, I got no support. I said, okay, fine, let's do a parade down Market Street, you know, and down the Embarcadero between, uh, you know, the Ferry Building, which is a beautiful building at the base of the, uh, the Oakland Bay Bridge, and Fisherman's Wharf. Let's have a parade. Let's have some civil disobedience. And I got no support for that either. So, it, you know, I didn't want to be the only one doing it because I'd get arrested. But if there were several thousand of us doing it, you know, then, uh, then we'd have civil disobedience and it'd be a big news story. I'd probably still get arrested because everybody would know it was my idea. But that's the kind of thing that I wanted to do. So what do we do for modern civil disobedience? You know, the, the, the classic is Rosa Parks, who did not want to sit in the back of the bus, even though that was the law. You know, she said, no, i sit where I want to sit you know, and, and some of the other things. So there was civil disobedience. Eating at lunch counters were said, you know, no blacks can eat at the lunch counter. That kind of stuff. What can we do today uh, that would be pretty, you know, so sort of like decent civil disobedience? I don't know. I'm just curious. Do you have any ideas?
0: The things that worked yesterday, you.
2: you know, you had blacks that didn't want the, the blacks to eat at, lunch, at a white lunch counter. Really? You had blacks that, uh, you have blacks that didn't want to the board of the uh, 1954 board. was totally against the Brown decision. Like the of education. Florida. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: The,
2: the blacks in Eatonville, Florida was totally against that. In mm-hmm. other places too. So you got de jure segregation, which is governor sponsored. and right. You got de facto. Thomas, uh, Judge Thomas spoke on those two very eloquently.
1: What did he say? If you can, if you can paraphrase, or if you have a speech, I always say too. Yeah.
2: Thomas said basically when it was on school buses that a black child does not have to sit next to a white child to learn, and the NAACP and others should get should uh, uh, accept that. I could give you the direct quote, but basically that's what it was when during the time of busing. and his uh, decision in. Jenkins versus Missouri. He's uh, eloquent. Matter of fact, he even quoted Malcolm X. So that's why He's you have Johnson, groups like yeah. Hakeem Jeffries. See, you got the Hakeem Jeffries group. They hate Dr. Right. King. I'm not King. They hate uh, Clarence Thomas, even today. Then you got the another group there that wants Clarence Thomas. To rule based on feelings, better than uh, the association of the Constitution, they exist today.
1: Hmm. So, what does Hecking Jeffries have against Martin Luther King so much? Because you know everything I read in, in Martin Luther King: No, it's Clarence Thomas, not King. I mean Clarence Thomas. I'm sorry. Yeah. What 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 are they so what do they object to with him so much? Just because he, he in a lot of cases.
2: They think that his <laughs> ruling should be like the road decision, which Clarence Thomas gave <clears> of <throat> the right decision. And they don't like that. They want yeah. to be able to control people with laws that are unconstitutional, just like Pritchett's ban, the Illinois ban on assault weapons. They want to be able to control people and deny people with unconstitutional laws. And they won't judge it to say
1: that they're right in doing so. Yeah. Yeah, everything that Martin Luther King spoke about uh, in in the speech is exactly what's happening today. You know, it's just a little different. Like, in other words, Clarence Thomas can't think for himself, you know, because he's black, he has to be in an ideological black sphere that he can't rule, you know, according to the Constitution. You know, he he has to live up to his skin color. It's got to be a a ridiculous
2: burden. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. See, Martin Luther King was a champion to get laws to strike down discriminatory practices that was allowed to exist. Basically, uh, they were violating the civil rights of blacks in those areas. So he championed for the civil rights. Act, which was a law mm-hmm. to tear down those obstacles that was discriminating and preventing blacks from enjoying the privileges of being an American citizen in certain areas of the country.
1: Yeah, I've looked at the FBI statutes. I think I've got them here too. Let me just pull up some, uh, this whole window full of stuff. I'm learning how to use windows better so don't. You know, block my signal. You know, so we don't distort as much. I, I'm, I'm sort of figuring out how to do this. So I've got uh, what the FBI basically enforces in terms of the Civil Rights Act is 18 U.S. Code Chapter 13. And it's got my favorite one, Section 241, Conspiracy Against Rights, Deprivation of Rights Under Color of Law, Section 242, Exclusion of Jurors on Account of Race, 243, Discrimination Against Person Wearing Uniform of Armed Forces, 244, Federally Protected Activities. (laughs) I've got to read that one. I've got to check these out because I I didn't remember all these. But the one that that, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee focuses on in her bill is 249 Hate Crime Acts. And so they sort of lose uh, their perspective. The original one, 241. Says that any any two or more people who conspire to oppress the exercise or enjoyment of a constitutional right are in violation of federal law, and there are, and there's jail and fines for that. Now that one is, and there's no exemption for government, so that's a good one.
2: Now, that's your law. One. Say that again. That's your law, right?
1: What? And that's the one I want enforced.
2: But you just read. It.
1: Yeah. Well, this is civil rights law. This is 18 U.S. Code. Uh, that was Section Two Four One. I know it by memory because I've quoted it enough times. You know what, or,
2: see, you know what, Sheila uh, Jackson Lee is trying to do uh-huh. is to change people's feelings. You can't change yeah. people's feelings. See, there's no. See, to hate someone is not illegal, unless yeah. you do what? You violate their civil rights. Uh-huh. So Sheila yeah. Jackson Lee wants you uh-huh. to come up to her and hug her. <laughs>
1: I would say. Yeah, but she's a racist. It's, huh? She's a racist. She hates white people. It's pretty obvious by this bill. Hopefully this bill will not go anywhere. But, uh, well, let's see what Johnson says. He's going to be on in a couple of minutes.
2: Well, the, uh, so the, the, the bill wouldn't be constitutional anyway. Yeah. See, Democrats will pass a whole bunch of laws that, that never would uh, survive the light of a court. Unless you mm-hmm. got there some uh, wicked judges like the ones that a King Jeffries would like to have, but uh, <clears throat> you have to know what they're trying to do. They're trying to they're trying to change the hearts and minds of people rather mm-hmm. than sticking to the constitutional uh, liberties that people have. The Constitution gives you a right to associate, mm-hmm. and this associate. With anyone that you choose.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like black colleges. Uh, I mean, they were set up initially to to make sure that black students had a had an equal or maybe even better education. Um, you know, way back when. That ain't the um, reason but, they were set up? Oh, okay. Why were they set up then? Tell me.
2: It was set up be- so that the, the mulatto children would have a school to go to. Oh, They couldn't wait go to school it. with the white. This and they weren't going to go to school with the blacks, so they had the, the mixed kids had a school to go to. Initially, that was that's what was in the mind, because you have to look at who started them. <clears throat> White males was behind the idea for the kids that they had father with black women. These were called mulatto kids. Huh?
1: Now we just call it interracial. In fact, I, I've noticed that all the commercials these days
2: they call have it interracial, interracial couples. Now,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the new thing. Mixed. They, they still make fun of white guys, though the white guys are still the idiots in the commercial, so that hasn 't changed What well, used to be men were made fun of you know if you go back five six years ago, uh, they made fun of whoever the guy was now because with the interracial couples and everything else. you know the white guy is always the idiot <laughs> in in the uh, in the commercial you know so it's it 's quite interesting so you don 't hear that word mulatto very often um, another word you don 't hear that I, I talked about I post a um, a trailer for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, as I said on Facebook, life is better when we could make fun of transvestites. You can't do that. I can't because I don't care, you know. But uh, we stopped using the word transvestite. That's another one. But uh, mulatto. Now, is that derogatory to say that now or is that uh, or just descriptive? Barack Obama was a mulatto. Okay. Black
2: father, white mother.
1: Right. So again, is that derogatory or descriptive? I don't remember it well, ever being referred to time
2: as, it was derogatory, derogatory like the word Negro was not. Uh, as times go by, people come up with new, the old saying, liberals create new words and new definitions for old words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I do too, by the way. <laughs> world Ending
1: Forum. We're going to talk about that in the third hour. So the, the World Ending Forum uh, is something quite interesting. But Sheila Jackson Lee's Bill, H.R. 61. Now, what I find so interesting about this is that she had a perfectly viable – you know, House dictatorship under Nancy Pelosi for four years. They were there from 2018 to 2022. I don't know if she ever filed this bill during those sessions. She files it at a time when she knows it's not going to go anywhere. It's like when the Republicans vote against Obamacare, knowing that Obama is going is to veto their bill voting against Obamacare. There's no consequence, but they didn't do it when, when uh, Trump was in office because they knew he would have signed it. It's, it's fascinating.
2: Let me tell you a secret. Sure. The stuff you've seen going on in the last two to three years, Nancy Pelosi don't support that. They're just doing it because of political expediency.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. No, this it's, it's it's a campaign thing. It's a campaign. I wonder Where mostly is? We'll have to. Uh, Joe to Biden find. don't.
2: Joe Biden, unless he's completely rewired on the inside, don't support the things that he's doing. Going to black churches. And making ridiculous speeches out of the blue, mm-hmm. out of, uh, you know, from the hip, shooting from the hip with these speeches. Yeah. they just doing it for political experience because when you have the position, then you have the opportunity to benefit from all that goes with having the position.
1: Well, it's interesting
2: um, these days or,
1: or today, especially Martin Luther King Day has got to be a problem for Democrats. You know, who support racial segregation, who who support separate schools, separate uh, graduations, who in, in make up entire new categories for everybody. You know, transgender, which doesn't exist, you know, it just exists in the minds of, of, of people who then go about, you know, mutilating their bodies with surgery and, and chemically uh, changing themselves. But they're not trans anything. <laughs> they're just hurting themselves. You know, and they said these black whole new categories. Blacks support that and, too. What's that?
2: You oh, know, in good. Georgia, you have all black and all white proms. Which was legal, yeah. you know why? Because it was why? privately held.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think the same thing about a, a you know a black college. If a black college wants to be a black college and say private college, um, freely associating, I don't care.
2: What well, is you that, got is those that, that... have a separate mindset, a mm-hmm. separate ideology. That's what they want. Also, they want to have the separate schools. Me personally, I don't care which, don't bother me whatsoever. You have male colleges, female colleges.
1: Pardon me? Well, they call it historical black colleges. Jonathan's online. I make his line live too. i have sort of waiting for Jonathan to to talk about this bill and everything else. Um, But uh, the idea that, uh, you know, why couldn't a college be like we had all male colleges? I mean, Harvard was all male for, for several hundred years. You know, but they were denying women an education. That was different. You know, but then you had Wellesley, which well, I think you was
2: all male, female. You got all male mm-hmm. black schools too, Piney Grove and Mississippi, and mm-hmm. you have a couple other ones. You used to have about like or or eight of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're a private. We'll see. Well, let's get let's get the official word from Jonathan. So, so Jonathan's our legal reporter and an expert, and just you know, always glad to have on the show. So, Jonathan, how does that work legally, federally, intellectually, ideologically? That if a school wants to be uh, either all all boys, all girls, like a high school, or all black or all black male, you know, it, it, you know, how, how, what's your stand? That and is there a legal stand that if they accept public funds, that somehow changes things? If they if they get taxpayer money, where where's that public private thing? And, and how can schools
0: limit their student body to
3: in. a body that they want to limit it to? Jonathan. I'm just tuning tuning in. So what what's the question? How does what work? Okay. All right. So, well,
1: just to, get, just to get you all caught up here. So I read Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech in the in the first half hour, uh, and then played some stuff, <laughs> played Stars and Stripes Forever, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and then Pianchi and I have been talking about civil rights and Martin Luther King and where we are today with, with the, the new segregation and everything else. And Pianchi brought up the topic of all black colleges. And, and they was talking about, now, are those high schools? Piney, I'm not sure, Piney Ridge you're talking about. Is that black male high school or is it college or what is it? <laughs> I and he's muted himself again.
2: No, they were see, – see, actually, you have whites that go to these schools. Whites go to uh, Morehouse. Well, I know they go to Brown. I don't know the population of Morehouse. <laughs> but they just titled that, entitled only, but in practicality, no, because they take federal funds. If you take That's federal funds, about. then you have to comply mm-hmm. with anti-discrimination. A law that is set forth in, in with the in federal in federal law. So now, if you're a private school, okay,
1: mm-hmm. then you can do
2: whatever the heck you want.
1: I think Brigham Young. Don't you have to be Mormon or at least accept the Mormon principles in order to go there? I'm pretty sure. I think, and that's a private school,
3: right? I don't know. Because that's a voluntary choice
1: so jonathan so mm-hmm. that's our question so so a school wants to be all black or all black male or all jewish or whatever the school wants to be is the the defining point these days that they they can't accept any government funds and of course governments want to make sure they do get funds but is that how it works you've been in the department of education you know what what what's the, the legal stand there so say a school wants to be you know, Buddhist, <laughs> you know, can they set up an all Buddhist school? And they say, you can come here, but, you know, you got to be a vegetarian, you know, or a vegan, and you got to uh, wear an orange robe, and you got to, you know, practice what we practice if you want to go to our school. Can schools do that still? You know, or do they have to be free of government funds?
3: Well, you know, things have been evolving, of course. Mm-hmm. And they're, even though they're not government schools, the, um, you know the the title Title IX and you know there is federal legislation uh, mm-hmm. against discrimination. So it's become you know, the the fact that they're private or don't take them less significant okay. compared to to just to the fact that there are laws. You know, it's like for example the whole con- one of the, one of the controversies about <laughs> um, baking baking a cake mm-hmm. is. even though that's a private thing, is that there is the the idea that there are laws against discrimination, even when the discrimination is not by the government. So, um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of controversy about whether um, that's constitutional and and, and things like that. So, I mean, probably... Probably the, in spite of the tradition
0: mm-hmm. that
3: a private school can do whatever it wants, you know, we're getting farther and farther away from that. And and it, you know, if, if someone, if if the government really wanted to push it, they could probably uh, apply you know the Title IX and other laws like that.
1: Yeah. See, um, this is where I think we lose. We lose. You're going to love this phrase. We lose the diversity of education. Because a certain group, say a military college, you know, they're not going to have a bunch of conscientious objectors. It's going to sort of defeat the purpose. You know, if someone wants to have a uh, like an all-girls school high school, apparently, you know, young women learn better uh, in a in a in a in a female environment. Uh, I've seen studies on that, uh, for example. And so traditional women's colleges, Smith, Mount Holyoke, they're up next to where I went to school at UMass. You know, were great schools with incredibly bright women and uh, and, and did really well. So. You know that if you lose those i don't see a problem with with limiting your student base to a particular you know student body um as long as the upper as long as educational opportunities exist for everybody somewhere you know and i don't see this as a problem that if you want to have you know culinary schools don't have students that don't want to cook you know there are, there's all kinds of specialty schools out there so why why is it different for a college if they want to have uh i don't know you know jewish college for example why would that be an issue if it's a private college and they want to teach, you know, the Torah and a bunch of other stuff, and they're they're a Jewish, you know, fundamental college. Why can't they do it? Why would that be a problem? Well, it
2: the government? should.
3: <clears throat> it, it it shouldn't be, but mm-hmm. but it is, and they didn't, you know, all of these things overcorrect, hmm. and they go, you know, out of control. Um. You know, it's like the whole thing of, of um <clears throat> the Dred Scott decision, which was, you know, an abomination. And so we fought a civil war and then we passed the Fourteenth Amendment, which, you know, about five percent of which fixes the problem of Dred Scott and ninety five percent of it creates all new problems. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> like the Fourteenth Amendment. Amendment.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's typically the way the government goes, is that In order to solve one problem, we create all new problems. And um, so you have, you know, for example, um, one of the landmark cases in the Supreme Court when the Supreme Court was fairly liberal, progressive, whatever you want to, you know, want to (laughs) say. Excuse me. They um, was... The Heart of Alabama Hotel, and we've we've talked about that a little bit before, and there was no government role in that. Um, It was it was a it was legislation applied to a private hotel, and the Supreme Court applied uh, rules from England uh, called innkeeper statutes. You know there was no there was no really legal basis for it, except that there was this, this idea that an innkeeper, in you know ancient times or you know several hundreds of years ago times, um, had obligations that your typical <clears throat> that your typical institution did not.
0: Hmm.
3: Along the theory that if you are you know, if you are traveling in you know the year um, twelve hundred across the countryside, and you can't stop for the night, you're in danger of being set upon by highway robbers, and you know your life could be in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so now you go back to the to the question of you know are there what if there are alternatives? Well, mm-hmm. obviously there are. Alternatives. The innkeeper statute concept is based on the idea that there aren't alternatives. Hmm. That you um, <clears throat> that if you can't if the, if the inn in this particular town mistreats you or turns you out, that you've got nowhere to go. So the entire concept of of regulation of private uh, companies is based on the old innkeeper idea that you have nowhere to go if if they discriminate against
2: you that's, that's
3: ridiculous that, yeah that it's no yeah. relation. i mean like here i mean you know back when the <clears throat> the 50s in the heart of alabama hotel you know i don't i don't know what it was but it, you know today there's a cluster of hotels and motels at every interstate um exit you know yeah. you, can't, you, you you trip over hotels <laughs> so the legal basis the legal basis for um, for regulating private industry is in today's society absurd but that's what you know but that's what we're talking about so so you know one should one should make the argument like you said that you know and it's the same thing like why are there and I I haven't studied black colleges don't you know um I'm sort of speaking in generalities but um the um as i understand the reason why there are <coughs> why there were black colleges is because blacks were not able to freely get an education maybe with some exceptions but they were not able to freely get an education in in standard colleges. So, you know, and that's well, why I think there was. Go ahead. Yeah, Piakie, Piakie, go the ahead. The
2: whole idea of black colleges is when white males wanted to have schools, and that, it, it, well, white males wanted to have schools for their mulatto sons and daughters.
0: Mm-hmm. Really?
2: Technically. I mean, really think about it. Why, what else could it have been? Then? then, of course, it spread it from there, but that's initially what it was for. <clears throat> if you hated blacks, you wouldn't make no school for them. But you had white males whose kids were mulatto. They couldn't go to the white school. And there was no other schools that that because the other side wouldn't want them anyway because of the color of their skin. Uh, what is it? The yellow is mellow, black, uh, brown stick around, black something. I forget the old slang. <laughs> that, that, so that that, that's basically that's for
1: uh, cesspool toilets, but that's a different story. Yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. See, this is what Pianka said earlier, and I'd never heard this before. It seemed to me that black students were discriminated against, especially in the South. You know, and that's why we had to have uh, the National Guard bring uh, a student to Old Miss and, and uh, Mississippi University and, and I think the, some of the, the black high schools in, in the segregated yeah. South. So, but that's different than what, what Piangi's talking about. See, I, you know, that's what I thought, too, was the, was the initial reason for these schools. The South
2: was different. Well, see, like mm-hmm. they say that blacks couldn't go to college. Well, that's ridiculous. Really different. How did you produce all of those blacks that worked on the Miami Projects? You had nuclear physicists, you had mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. So how did they get education? They woke up under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning and there (laughs) it was?
1: Well, this is something I was curious about, too, because, you know, what, were, were black students actively banned from every university? I mean, that doesn't make sense. You had state colleges, state universities, you had private colleges, you know, private universities. And then we're talking before, uh, you know, affirmative action and, and of standards and changing of the SAT scores and things like that. Let's go back to the 1800s, you know, and you had black engineers, black, uh, you know, scientists and black doctors and uh, exactly where they go to school. So. What was different then? You had
2: over twenty. You had over twenty black scientists that worked on the Manhattan Project, and that well, you know when that started. Yeah. So that spells the whole idea that blacks could go to the colleges. You know, one of the and that's another systemic racist uh, situation is all these lies. Mm-hmm. Critical race some, theory. Every yeah. coin has two sides, and they don't want and there's. There's movements that don't want the other side to be told.
1: You know, before he, before we get to Jonathan's uh, topics, there was a movie I remember, and it was about a, a black woman who was the, 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 the mathematician for NASA who made the the calculations that it was for Apollo 11 or something. Uh, Kevin Costner's in it. He plays uh, like one of the directors of NASA. Jackie, um, you might know the movie. I don't know. Maybe, Jonathan, you know it. But uh, it documented exactly that story. So it was a black woman who was like the one of the chief mathematicians for NASA. Where'd she go to school? She had to go to school somewhere, you know, so maybe it was Women's College. Anyway. It's
2: the comment. Blacks sought jobs with the federal government because they was more likely to receive less discrimination or experience less discrimination in mm-hmm. the federal government. Yeah. Uh, you see a lot of Blacks in the post office because at the time, mm-hmm. the wage was so limited that whites wouldn't work in. So therefore a lot of Blacks worked. So that moved on on into present situation. When you go to many post offices, they usually have an overrepresentation of blacks in the post office.
1: You know, it's interesting. There's like a cutoff when affirmative action came in, so the only white guys in the post office are over a certain age, <laughs> because all of a sudden affirmative action came in, and that's it. <laughs> you know, it to, uh, you know everybody else but white guys, it's, it's kind of interesting how government hiring works. Well, let's get to Johnson and, and see what can Because we, I've sort of hesitated talking about Sheila Jackson Lee's bill. I wanted to wait for you to get here for that. We, we've mentioned it a little bit, um, but another, any other topic that you have, that Jonathan, that's, that's on your mind, is, is fair game this morning. So where shall we go?
3: <laughs> well, as usual, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> but um um it's interesting because I'll, I'll transition there a little okay. bit because in the um in the uh, um this time period there was a you know there was a lot of controversy within the civil rights movement. And of course, the civil rights movement included um, included, uh, you know, white whites as well as as blacks, but but there was controversy between uh, both. Oh, the people outside are making war on the leaves. Excuse me. Um, the, <laughs> that, I was
1: wondering what was going on out there. Yeah, okay,
3: that's fine. Leaf blower. Which well, they're trying to get it in before before gas engines are are illegal. I think we should talk about leaf blowers next. That's funny but anyway, so um you know between whether the goal should be um <clears throat> integration you know that that there should be mixing between um between all of the uh races you know being treated equally or whether uh, that whether there there should be enclaves where uh, blacks, in this case, could, you know, could be, could have their own success independently. So there's this controversy. And and when you read the Martin Luther King um, King's speech, of course, I haven't spoken to Martin Luther King, uh, unlike uh, Hillary Clinton, who used to walk the halls or whatever, <laughs> and talk to the Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt. Right. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> she, um you know, so I don't know, but I, I believe that part of what he was throwing in there was speaking to this. You know, he was he was not only setting forth a positive message that people would like and and appealing to you know it, it's it is often helpful to pose you know to to move people in an in an attractive direction. Um, and uh, and but he, I think he was also trying to motivate people in the direction of of uh integration and away from separate enclaves and of course there was also a huge debate between by, you know could and we're seeing it now today with with the uh you know with conservatives too and i i disagree you know it, is it too late <clears throat> to get change without violence is it possible to um to achieve radical change peacefully within the system or or do we have to go outside of it? And, you know, we're seeing these debates right now. But Well, that's what uh, Action Radio is for. Other- uh, the whole point
1: of Action Radio is to bring about peaceful change as an alternative to, to ballots which are stolen and bullets which kill people. You know, bills. We, yeah. we, instead of changing the people, we change yep. the bills. But I, I read Martin Luther King's speech, I Have a Dream, in the first hour of the show. So if you want to go back, uh, check that out. I've got the speech here for any part if you want to research any part of it. It's, it's, a, it's a very American, very patriotic very individual, very uh, uh, individual rights, Bill of Rights, constitutional rights, and, and uh, constitutional powers. And what he talks about is the primary note of our founding documents are not being you know, fulfilled for the Negro. You know, we can't be a, an America. We can't be great. America cannot be great unless everybody can be great. And so that's what the speech is all about. I, I think you don't hear it today because it goes specifically against the leftist agenda that we're all part of a group. Martin Luther King didn't say that. And, and we're individuals. The we the individual region. rights. Okay, go ahead,
2: Bianchi. One Tell reason me. why I come here to speak like this is because it was whites that funded the civil rights movement.
0: Oh, that's You interesting. had
2: Stephen Correa, who was uh, either married to or uh, his girlfriend was Audrey Mellon of Andrew Mellon of the Mellon oh, Foundation today.
1: Right. Mellon Bank. Yeah.
2: And they put the money up. They put up like $1.5 million or somewhere around there. uh. Um, um, it, 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 you had all you had about five different black groups at the time, and they mm-hmm. was fighting each other. Core, you had the Southern Leadership Christian, NAACP, and uh, two others I just can't name them right now. And Steve and Corey came to them and said, "Look, y'all got to stop talk, fighting against each other." Mm-hmm. So you had about ninety-nine white corporations that put up money. For the civil rights movement, I
1: mean, uh, yeah, to fund that. So where are well, you now? Uh, this, this is this well, is I, you know, like I say, I'm not as well versed on my civil rights as I should. Don't forget, I came to this country. You know, I don't have a long history here. I don't have family history, uh, you know, all through the United States. I've been kind of all over the place. But this is fascinating. Uh, so, so you know I'm what to happened
2: friend, okay. to uh, you know what happened to Stephen Curry? who's a pilot, and I think he went down in a Bermuda train. We oh, really? never did find him in here. Yeah.
1: Huh. And I've flown the Bermuda Triangle in a little assessment. So, uh, you know, you can not do it. <laughs> you just can't do it when the weather's bad. But uh, that's interesting. Okay. So uh,
2: that's the, uh, uh, see, it, it, it's, it's nothing that's clear-cut. Like, for instance, he may mention about the Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation did not free slavery. The right. only jurisdiction Lincoln had was Mm -hmm. those slaves that left plantations. When the Mm -hmm. plantation owners, they fled, like in the face of uh, the approaching uh, Union troops Mm with Sherman, because Sherman was burning everything, they fled. The slaves wake up one morning, master gone. So what they done, they escaped and hid behind Union lines. They became contraband. And that's the only ones that Lincoln had authority to, quote, free. He, they was freed from that uh, status of contraband. He was couldn't the tell native American, the native Americans, you got to yeah. give up your property. He couldn't do that. And they told him that we are not giving up our property unless you pay us for it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The proclamation was was a proclamation. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't legislation. It wasn't a law. It wasn't duly passed. It didn't go That's through the legislature. Right. Didn't get a signature or anything. Which is, it was a speech. It was a great speech, but I'm not I'm not saying anything can, away from it. But you it can a have a city well,
2: government that yeah. proclaim tomorrow is Jonathan Moseley Day. That's all it is,
1: <laughs> or National Burger Day, or something like that. Well, let's get Jonathan in that. What, what's uh, what's your experience with the civil rights? Act itself, the civil rights movement. What's going on in Washington? Department of Education. What's uh, can you can you shed some light on this Martin Luther King Day?
3: Well, there, there's a couple things too. I want to. I mean, I, I'm wondering whether to go directly into that and then get to, to some of these other controversies, or well, what's whatever, the most but, important? But you, whatever you well, want to talk I about. Was, I want
1: to uh, let's listen because we don't get to the, we don't right, the but, most important. We don't get to you know we we miss it. So what do you what do you most want to talk about as far as issues? And it can be anything.
3: Well, I think the, thing that I, the thing that I wanted to talk about generally, mm-hmm. um, well, for, first let me say that I've researched the Civil Rights Act, and, of course, Republican Dwight D. Eisenhower called out the National Guard mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to enforce the Supreme Court's decision on, on desegregation of schools mm-hmm. over Democratic Party opposition. He... Uh, got past the Civil Rights Act of 1957, uh, he, who, which John F. Kennedy voted against. Um he <laughs> oh, that's said, interesting. He said that, um, you know, because the problem was that there were laws on the books, but in southern states or former slave states or whatever, um, <clears throat> they they wouldn't enforce it. They would send it to a jury, and the jury would not convict. And the prosecutors wouldn't. So the laws were on the books. They weren't being enforced. And and that was some of the controversy with John F. Kennedy. And things. And, and the Republican Dwight D. Eisenhower then ran on having gotten the 19 – who ran for re-election on – you know, he was proud of, and, and he's the head of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they thought it was great that they passed the Civil Rights Act of 1957, and Dwight Eisenhower ran on it. And then, he, and he got passed a little tweak called the Civil Rights Act of 1960. Mm-hmm. And but everybody is all excited because Lyndon Baines Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. He didn't get it passed. Republicans, pat, you know, voted for the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in far greater numbers, and more significantly, the Republicans in the Senate broke the filibuster for all these things. So, I mean, I've studied all this. I don't remember any, I wasn't around at the time, but, um, I mean, I was around, I wasn't aware. Um, (laughs) but, um, the, uh, um, I I was into mighty mouse at the time, but, um, the, um, (laughs) so, so the thing is, I do know that there are all these, all these controversies and that, um, you know, the, you had you had groups that were interested in. in there, there were groups that were engaged in violence, and there were groups that were engaged in <clears throat> in um, in uh, you know trying to build a better future um, in all ways, not just peacefully, but but in, in every positive way. And and so that's what I think Martin Luther King said. So what I wanted to do although I'm looking here at, uh, what's her name, Lee's?
1: Sure,
0: definitely, distru-
3: yeah, I, I've,
1: I posted her bill earlier. I've, I've, I've got the text right in front of me.
3: I, I do, I'm looking at it. It's, it's, actually, it's actually both an extraordinarily dangerous mentality and true fascism. Mm-hmm. It's also a very sneaky uh, sneaky law, the way it's written. But anyway, so I wanted to start with, um, again, my job is is a, a, a overlap between uh, law and um, and politics. So I'm sorry, I have no choice. My hands are tied. This is so. so I wanted to <clears throat> to congratulate people for today. You know, remembering the um, the fascist Bureau of Intimidation um, persecuted Martin Luther King Day. And oh, you know, today, that's interesting. For, for, for me, this is the day when the Federal Bureau of Investigation um, tried to frame Martin Luther King, who is now, you know, so he's this great hero. Right. But it was the FBI who was trying to slander him, uh, bug him, find dirt on him, basically what they're doing today. Yeah, this they're, sounds they're, they're familiar. Uh, <laughs>
1: Sounds really familiar from the, the FBI, KGB. Yeah.
3: Just remember that the um, law enforcement, and again, we've had this discussion uh, over the last five years. Uh, law enforcement is someone commits a crime, and there's a complainant to, to demonstrate that yes, there was actually a crime committed, and law enforcement is supposed to um, <coughs> is supposed to investigate and figure out who did it. Right. Uh, but but the Soviet Union's um, head of the secret police, Berea, says, show me the man, I'll show you. Was it Berea or was it? Wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm having <coughs> a... You know, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. I think it was
1: Stalin. Because uh, uh, they had so many laws, everybody was guilty of something. I mean, that's why they pass all those laws.
3: So the same thing's happening today. Yeah, and here in the United States. Which is why yeah. they have we have to hate Russians. Because... They, they want to get attention away from the, from communism. They want the Democrats are communists, and people say, right. you know, when people say that, I would roll my eyes, say, oh, come on, it's over the top. When you really dig into it, you go, oh, my God, it's true. Um, and um, so um, they have to attack Russians because um, then they can excuse, they can get people to forget about communism and, and make, communi- you know, put communism here because, so anyway, so, so you have this thing where, uh, but, where, but the Federal Bureau of Investigation back in the early 1960s had a domestic intelligence uh, division. That means they're not investigating a crime. They're not trying right. to solve a crime. Um, they're trying to, they're, they're a secret police. They're the Roman Praetorian Guard. You know they're, they're the czar secret police, um, and and uh, there are those who study the FBI who say that it's never been anything else. And you say, well, now wait a minute, they're going after cons- you know political conservatives today, mm-hmm. but they then they were going against Martin Luther King. How how can this be? Because they're they're not ideological driven. They're they're driven by kissing the rear end of whomever is in power. I mean the okay. most the greatest success. The FBI ever had was getting a TV series uh, made after it and movies because the purpose of the FBI is to get positive news coverage, um, and and so they will kiss the, the you know the the rear of whomever is in charge at the moment because they're the Praetorian Guard. They don't oh. they don't enforce the law, they protect um, the Caesar. So, so in August 1960, I'm reading from the History Channel, that far-right um, crazy blog called the History Channel. Um, mm-hmm. In August 1963, King delivered his now iconic I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, blah, blah, blah. His growing prominence brought increasing scrutiny from the FBI. Now, this is the, again, this is the History Channel, um, how easily we forget. Um, and, uh, quote, we must mark King now as the most dangerous Negro of the future of this nation from the standpoint of communism, the Negro and national security, wrote William Sullivan, head of the Bureau's domestic intelligence division on August 30, uh, 1963, you know, now. If you notice the similarity between this is what the, you know, what the FBI is always doing, they're always attacking the political enemies of whomever uh, pays their, you know, signs their paycheck. <laughs> <from But, Trump. laughs> what were they doing? Trump. I'll ask you that later, but continue. The, well, OK, but 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 then you can wonder why is there a William Sullivan head of the Bureau's domestic intelligence division? And, and we're seeing this now, and, we're, and people mm-hmm. recognize this is a huge threat to the country. This was 1963. Right. You know, so, um, <clears throat> so you know, that, that's why when everybody says, oh, the, you know, I have no patience for people to say, oh, the rank and file FBI agents are good. And then we catch, you know, Comey, red-handed. And it's like, what? Because they've been doing it forever. Yeah. You know, you, when you point well, out... Well, who the rank and file is, FBI this...
1: agents are good? I don't. You know, the, these these directors no. come from somewhere. I mean, uh, if they're that exactly. good, they'd be whistleblowers, wouldn't they? If they were really exactly. good FBI agents, you know, you know, affirming the Constitution, living up to the oath that they take. I took the same oath when I was working with U.S. Customs, you know, right before it became Customs and Border Protection. I took the same oath all these people take. Except, like a lot of military people, I, I took it for life. I didn't just take it for that job. And And so these people, I mean... All the rank and file who are not whistleblowers are part of the problem,
2: as far as I can see. Jonathan? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The the FBI is needed, and there's a lot of good that comes out of the FBI. But then, like like anything else, you have the ability for it to be painted. Well, well, what so the like other do that can't be done at the state level?
1: Pianki, you're big on states, uh, state powers, all right? So, what is done at the like NIAS the FBI so
2: busted, like the FBI broke up the police terror that was going on in New Orleans. I mean, states can't do that because you have to share information. They don't have the ability to uh, follow people from <laughs> state to state.
1: Well, states could have their <laughs> well, own cooperative maybe, police force. You know, I don't think that's necessary. It has to be the FBI. But go ahead, Jonathan.
3: Well, I mean, m- maybe it's best seen as power corrupts, and you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because, you know, when when people see their name on television and in the newspaper, after a while, even the best of us, it goes to their head.
0: <laughs> you know,
3: e- even the even the most perfect human being. Um with the best character. You know, it's like Fauci. I mean, eventually you see, you know, you get I mean, the guy should just shut up. for I mean, so his own good. And and yet he can't it's like it's a drug. Yeah. I mean, he has to go on, you know, what he has to go on television. It's like it's like a you know, an addiction. And um so anyway. So so the thing is, so here here's what the History Channel says. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> In, in October 1963, now get this: Robert Kennedy right. authorized the installation of wiretaps in Martin Luther King's Atlanta home. Demo- oh, isn't that I mean, special? The Kennedys you know, would be would be members of the Freedom Caucus today, in, in the way it is. But they're they were heads of the you know of the Demo- they're they're gods of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. as, as well as Martin Luther King is. And, and rightly so. So you have Robert Kennedy authorizing wiretaps of King's Atlanta home and the Southern SCLC, I forget what that uh, stands for, um, with the understanding, obviously his organization, uh, with the understanding that the FBI was continuing to investigate his suspected communist ties. Now, another thing we notice here is there's always an excuse, Right? There's hold always on. a pretext, you know, it's Russia or whatever. Communism, you know, wh- when they take your rights away, you know, they'll say like, oh, yeah, we just sorry We, <clears throat> we thought maybe you were torturing puppies in your basement. <laughs> um, within. So then you know, the History uh, channel goes on. Just hold just, on. on, Piaki. Go ahead. Uh, I'm
1: to,
2: get, I want to get, finish this. The Jonathan's. No, poem. go
3: ahead. Well, no, because I mean, I, I know he studied this. So, yep.
2: it'd be, okay. yeah, go I right hear ahead. what she's yeah. saying. I hear what you're saying, Jonathan, but rightfully so, they should have been doing that because you can go back as far as the 1930. I think it was 1934, where you had communist uh, elements that was courting Negro movement. They had a big convention in uh, some place in Michigan in 1934, or maybe later. You had uh, Manning Marble wrote about it in a little pamphlet. It's a lot of information in there. So uh, well, uh you it, had the Commons party that uh provided defense for the Scottsboro nine boys coming out of Alabama when the NAACP in their legal defense fund refused to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that that there's there's truth to that, although I, I don't give the FBI much Credit because they were, if they were actually investigating the Communist Party, you know, my, you know, I and I know from John and from my work um, with the Center for Peace and Freedom under the Heritage Foundation things that Communists always tries to find. I don't want to say that word. The always wants to find a wound in a country that they want to flip. So they will pick something that's a, uh, you know, a um, now, I, 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 there's a word that would describe it, but it's too negative. But, but, the, but you know, there's a, they, they will find a wound and then try to exploit it and create the, – the British Empire did this, too, and, and in Africa. Um, and and they, would, they would create division and strife and everything like that in order to create what they call revolutionary momentum. It doesn't mean they actually care. About race, it means they're willing to exploit it for their own purposes. And I think the FBI, you know, if they were actually you know investigating I, communism,
2: would understand that it had nothing know, to do know. with race. Yeah. Did you know you had blacks that left the United States and went to Russia to live?
3: Yeah, I. I but we, I can. I, I mean, I don't know those people. I don't know why they did it. But I, I can understand that. <laughs> if you're telling people you're getting screwed in the United States and we'll be your friends, you know, I think a lot of things would happen, but, um, well, you know, the and, labor, and <laughs> and
1: I mean, the whole labor thing, you had uh, a
2: black huge scientists that jealous. went to Russia. Mm-hmm. You had black scientists when went to Russia. And, and this is, this information is in what's called a Tuskegee edition called the Negro yearbook, which was, published by the NAACP. And, no, I didn't And uh, that. Yeah. But my, but, I mean, but my book, point and I think I got two copies of it. Pardon me? Okay. But
3: but the point my point is though that it you know, for today is that um well number one, the FBI has always been doing this um and that they um and again I don't think I don't believe that the FBI should be playing the role of, of future crime, you know, like the uh, Minority Report, Tom Cruise movie. I, I do not believe law enforcement should be <clears throat> should be um, investigating crime that hasn't happened. But Both prior restraint, um, right?
1: That's the whole the whole document, the whole doctrine of prior restraint. Arresting you for what the government yeah, thinks you I mean, might do in the is future, If someone building maybe?
3: a nuclear bomb in their in their basement, that's different. But yeah, if it's, mm-hmm. if it's, if well, it's political at opinion. Point. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Right. Well, that's the difference. And, and, and yeah. but the question is, I mean, for example, <laughs> so, um, but also when you have these, you know, these revered gods of the democratic party mm-hmm. who are in fact um, at each other's throats, so to speak, loosely speaking, um, I think that we need to understand who these people are. Well, anyway, let me, let me move along a little bit. I mean, not saying we can't talk about, but let's just put some more things in evidence. Within mm-hmm. months, however, the Bureau expanded its surveillance of King, it's the History Channel, placing mm-hmm. bugs and wiretaps in the hotel rooms he visited. The expansion reflected the FBI's new objective, collecting evidence of King's extramarital activities in order to sully his reputation and weaken him as a leader of the civil rights movement. Now that's, that is a, um, I'm, I, I you know, I'm, I'm at a loss for the correct terminology. <laughs> well, it's but Democrat 101 is the,
1: uh, I call it with Matt Gaetz when he was on my show way back when WBY, the Democrat obligatory sex scandal. You know, they always accuse somebody yeah, of doing I something think, sexual. I think they translate can't help it. Translated
3: into English. I, I, yeah. I think the Soviet KGB term is active measures as opposed to uh, collecting data, you know, oh. you know, uh, collecting collecting, like, collecting, like wet data. work, <laughs> like wet work is assassination.
1: That kind of, yeah. that kind of euphemism. I mean, cause, oh, okay. cause if
3: they are trying to collect evidence of King's extramarital activities in right. order to sell his reputation, again, this is a history channel. This is a, you know, officially approved um, mainstream history in order to sell his reputation. Those are active measures. To change the situation, not simp- not simply to, you know, see if somebody's buying a nuclear bomb. Um, it, it's to, so, <clears throat> um, so, um, and, and he was criticizing, it says, the FBI for failing to act on civil rights violations in the South. And, um, wait, I have to find it again. Um, oh, here it is. Meanwhile, Hoover's FBI took one of its most shocking actions towards King. A few days after Hoover's press conference, which is about the FBI's failure to enforce civil rights laws, Sullivan, again, the head of the domestic intelligence office of the FBI, drafted an anonymous letter to the civil rights leader suggesting intimate knowledge of his alleged sexual activities. Through agents, he sent the letter to King in Atlanta along with a tape recording supposedly documenting some of those extramarital encounters. And, again, I would emphasize that this is, they're trying to change the situation, not monitor it, not just monitor it. Um, as historian Beverly Gage has written, King and his close associates believe the letter was suggesting he should kill himself? Why it, Why they assume that? It set a deadline of 30 days before, you, quote, before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bare to the nation, quote, end quote, and concluded by saying, quote, there is only one thing left for you to do. They also correctly assumed that the source of the letter and the tape was the FBI. Senate Hmm. investigators revealed in 1975, and I believe that would be the Church Committee, that a draft of the letter was found in Sullivan's file. Sullivan, again, the head of the domestic intelligence office of the FBI, though he denied any knowledge of it and suggested it had been Hoover's work, which is not exactly better because he's the director. Hoover. Um, mm. <clears throat> so remember the left right now today is freaking out because Jim Jordan and the house Republicans are going to use a, um, uh, have set up a committee, what are they calling? I, I, I stumble over the, over the bureaucraties, the, uh, the, uh, on the weaponization of the government and mm-hmm. they're calling it the church committee. The problem is that most people don't know what the Church Committee is, and
0: well, we you know, talk about it, but yeah,
3: left-wing, you know, very left-wing Senator Frank Church uh, led the committee to to expose what the FBI and the CIA were doing against against uh, American citizens. Um. See, this, is, this is fascinating though because the, the, there's such a huge
1: change now. My feeling on the FBI, um, just to get this in, is that there's nothing in the Constitution that authorizes a national police force. Uh, and Pianchi talking about, well, they need to do the fingerprints and things like that. Well, the states could fund their own, you know, interstate bureau of, of fingerprint records. So there's nothing that the FBI does in investigation that is constitutional. There's nothing that they do in enforcement that is constitutional. In fact, it's unconstitutional that they're armed. I've got a whole bill against them and, and a bunch of other agencies to disarm them and give their arms back to the people through the, the civilian marksmanship program. So there's nothing the FBI does that's constitutional, whether it's investigative or enforcement, yeah, but that couldn't be done by the it, state. It may not
2: be constitutional, but the, F- they, the states can do with it. See, FBI can go into other countries, like they went to Ghana and followed Martin Luther King. You couldn't if they have can't do that, they can't. they're not a foreign
1: government. agent. They're not, they're, they, they can't do that's <laughs> the CIA's job. They can't do what they're doing. I want to I get back to Jonathan because I want to pursue this a little bit further, especially on the what church committee I to you don't Sheila Jackson. The
2: I well, they, they, weren't, they weren't concerned about civil rights. They were concerned about the communists. I'll see you.
1: Okay. Well, they actually became the communists. And this is, this is, this is the part that I find so fascinating is that the FBI is doing the very things – the very things that they said they're allegedly against. We haven't started talking about Waco yet. You don't want to talk about, uh, you know, a, a terroristic force. So the FBI, well, what about my question on that? The, you know, can the FBI exist constitutionally? I don't think they can. Jonathan?
3: Well, like, um, I guess it depends upon what the FBI is doing. Are they doing things that they shouldn't be doing? Or, you know, c- could they be... A, a clearinghouse and repository of information. Yeah, I think so. But I think we talked about before, and maybe with Pianchi, is that if if the FBI builds a case against someone, mm-hmm. shouldn't they get it over to the state for, for, yeah. for prosecution?
1: Well, there's only, mean, three like, crimes you know the, there's only three federal crimes, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. That's it. I've already studied that in bill. So why do you need an FBI?
3: Well, but I mean, suppose, I mean, like the Al Capone and the gangsters and the bank robbers and things like that, even though the vaunted FBI was only able, I think they got them, well, they shot a lot of them, but they mostly got them for tax tax evasion. Mm -hmm. Um, But they... um, These, I mean, if you believe the movies and uh, and things like that, these criminals were intentionally crossing state lines. They would, you know, they would commit a bank robbery on the edge of a state and then dash across to the next state, Mm -hmm. so that the the couldn't couldn't follow them. You know, so you
1: know, we have federal extradition. Why wasn't there state extradition? Why wouldn't the states form a compact? You know, and have interstate criminal, um, you know, boards, bureaus, investigative agencies, you know, fingerprints, the whole bit. There's no reason the states can't do that
2: themselves.
1: And Pianchi's big on that. I agree with him. You know, this is is the responsibility. The
2: reason why is because the state of Fishers was corrupt.
1: Okay, so, so here's the question. This is a really important point, that because it's not being done, do we have it done, being done by another agency that has no constitutional authority to do it? So in other words, it's like when the Congress doesn't remove Supreme Court uh, judges for things like Roe v. Wade, which they clearly should. And they don't do that. Does that mean that we have another body come up to do it? If a law is not being ruled unconstitutional by the Congress where it should be, do we then allow a district judge to overrule that and then allow district judges to overrule a bunch of other stuff that is constitutional? So, that, so the question becomes, you know, if it's not being done, you know, by the, the people that should be doing it, should we authorize somebody who shouldn't do it, uh, allow them to do it? And I say no. I think that's a Well, mistake.
2: again, well, I, you had, let me give you another give, example. The Third Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham. They never could get a state official to prosecute the people that was behind that. It took the FBI to do it.
1: Yeah, but it's the right thing by the wrong agency. So that's that's the question, and I asked Jonathan the same question. If something is not being done by the people that should do it, uh, I still believe you have to fix that system. You don't put it on another agency that has no constitutional authority to do it, even if they actually do the right thing. It's like when the, the judge ruled against the masks. That was the right thing to do, but I don't believe she was in a position to do it being a judge that should have come from a legislature to overturn the executive actions. Jonathan, help me out here. What do you think
3: well it's obviously it's obviously a troubling uh, comparison
1: mm-hmm.
0: but
3: but again the when you talk when you talk like that, we're talking about a variable definition of what the FBI should be mm-hmm. you know so if you're if you're thinking about redesigning things, then it becomes important. Like, what what of these various things would you want the FBI to do, and what would you not want them to do? And like mm-hmm. I say, my the thing that bothers me is is what you call prior restraint. You know, unless it's like I say, by, you know, if they're assembling a fertilizer bomb in their van, you know, that maybe clashes the line. But if it's if it's the fact that that you know, if they're they're freaking out about anti-government groups like the founding fathers and Sam Adams and George Mason who were anti-government, um, yeah. then then I I think they should. It's not their job to be the secret police. Um, but uh, so so you've you, you unstuck. I mean, when you talk like this, you un, you've unstuck what parts of the FBI you'd want the FBI to do and what wouldn't you want them to do. Um, so 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 yeah, no, I mean typically not, but I think that they're you know, like I say, the the I I don't see a constitutional problem with the FBI investigating and handing it to the United States attorney in Mississippi. Now the, the the state government might not prosecute and that's a big that was a big it was a gigantic problem where you know it's like this guy did it everybody knows he did it but we're just not going to prosecute him because we're racist um so it's it's a tricky thing um but but if if you want to say that we're going to have a u.s attorney and we're going to um appoint someone whom we believe is going to actually file the law, and there are federal laws, mm-hmm. then I then I don't think it matters whether the FBI investigates it or whether the state, the state police investigate it. Mm-hmm. The question to me... Well, you know talking?
2: another thing, too, why I come the states can't do it? Because states cannot enter into treaties with foreign countries. That's why the states can't send no agent to a foreign country. The, the FBI can't
1: the, state can. no, I, the FBI can't do it either. This, not the jurisdiction.
2: Yeah, but, the, but Congress can.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's get back to Jonathan's point, though, because you're gonna, you're finishing up this, and I want to pursue this further with you, especially with the U.S. attorneys.
3: Well, that that's the thing. It's, I think I think there are probably it's like it's like the U.S. Department of Education. People uh-huh. can say that there's no constitutional authority for a U.S. Department of Education. But the U.S. Department of Education is actually a bank. It's not. It has nothing. You know, if if you ended the U.S. Department of Education tomorrow, Mm -hmm. um, nobody would notice. um, Except when, except that they they just give out money. Mm -hmm. Um, They they don't do anything for education. They they give out grants that um, they don't educate well, that, anybody. Well, that's power, though. Look at look at
1: uh, Dr. Faschist and his grants for, for big pharma, you know, so-called vaccines and things like that. That giving out of money, the climate change money, where the scientists have to comply to get the money, you know, the education grants, you have to comply with what the, the agency wants in order to get the money. That's a huge power, Jonathan.
3: Well, it is, but is it constitutional? I think, I think no. for the – to have <laughs> – well – i don't know i I, okay. I would i would i would think, you can disagree i would think that the, you may you may think that that Congress should butt out but if if the if if the federal government wants to spend money and they set up you know a branch to spend the money i you know I, I think that's different from having like a ministry of Education that runs the schools there's no constitutional basis. For a federal agency that runs the nation's schools that would uh, it would be clearly unconstitutional in my mind and the same thing with the FBI if <clears throat> you know if the FBI collects statistics and information and it's available for use by someone who does have the constitutional authority to prosecute mm-hmm. um, that that may be that may be different um, yeah so the I'll, FBI I'll do you have
1: time after 9 o'clock, or do you have time after the top of the hour, or do you have to go at the top of the hour? I want to know how much time to uh, – I want to get a couple more
3: things in. have somebody coming in?
1: No, I don't. We, we're open. I mean, Dorothy's not here today. She's she's on vacation. Um, but I just wanted to, but you might have stuff to do, you know, lawyer stuff. I just want to make sure. Uh, if you have a few more minutes, that would be great. If not, then uh, I want to talk about the, the Sheila Jackson Lee thing and, and one more statement on the FBI. But anyway, go ahead.
3: Yeah, that would be good. I don't I don't have a, a crisis today. Okay, um, good. not usual. Um, <laughs> um, people, I, I, I've kind of made it a policy not to answer 800 or those kinds of numbers because they're almost open. No. Yeah. Um, screen your calls. Um, although they might be, you know, it is a small possibility that there's something But like, uh, I'm applying departments. Um, but anyway, so, um. So, so the thing is, is, so this goes back to the mindset of, of like you say, prior restraint. Um, this is sort of a, this is sort of a um, clumsy transition here, but and and obviously these are big. You know, I, I'm not sure Pianti is completely, completely. Oh, let me say this. There's a, there's a book people might be interested in by David Garro, G-A-R-R-O-W. G-A-R-R-O-W. Uh, Pulitzer prize winning author, David Garrow. I don't know if he'll won want to Pulitzer prize for this, but he's, he's no slush called the FBI and Martin Luther King jr. From solo to Memphis. It's published. It was published, uh, originally in 1983. Looks like the paperback was published in December 2010. Uh, it was published. No, Penguin Books would have been paperback,
0: and it
3: was republished by Yale University Press in December 2010, and it was republished in Open Road Media in 2015. So, it may have, you know, some some significance to people. Um, you know, it's not it's not a, a, a flash in the pan, and um, like I say, it, it's. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's obviously controversial. You know, frankly, we should do, maybe we should have done more and we should now do more to get rid, you know, to root out the, they, uh,
1: well, we'll always pick it up next week. I, let me let me do a couple of things. First of all, the FBI. My my statement on the FBI is that there is no constitutional justification for a national police force, and that's what they are. Um, that uh, their enforcement powers are clearly unconstitutional. The fact that they're armed is also clearly unconstitutional. Now, I would grant that if they want to do investigations, keep track of fingerprints, DNA samples, you know, psychological profiling, and offer services to the states. Um, that's tolerable, but it would be better if the states had their own agency that did that, and they funded it independently, like like the, uh, the the Interstate Crime, you know, Interstate Compact Crime Bureau. But the fact that the FBI, if they're only doing investigations and they're only doing records and things like that, and they have no enforcement powers, and they, and their their people aren't armed, I got you know, I, it's not the, the yeah. ideal,
2: but it's yeah. certainly better
1: than hold on, certainly better than the situation today. So that's that's where that comes in. Um, I definitely want to talk about uh, U.S. attorneys next week. So if we can, if you can tell us how how they all came about, and what they do, Jonathan. I don't want to do that today because I want to get in the World Economic Forum here in just a minute. Um, but that's that's my feeling. So Jonathan, does that split? And I get to Bianchi. I the same question. So Jonathan, does that split make sense? That you know, separate enforcement from investigation or records or things like that, uh, and should that be a federal, or could the states create their own organization doing exactly the same thing separate from the federal government? Jonathan, and then Pianchi.
3: Well, I I mean, theoretically, there shouldn't be that big of a difference between the states doing it as a collective and the federal government doing it as a collective for for. It, it theoretically, you know, it philosophically, that should be very similar. But of course, we know once what power once accumulated expands. I, I think, but the thing is, the enforcement. What, <coughs> what? Um, I mean, the FBI has the power to arrest, and mm-hmm. it has the power to go to a judge and get an arrest warrant. Um, but but the 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 FBI does not have the power to. Prosecute the U.S. attorney, and and I I, I think the idea that only federal prosecutors can prosecute federal crime, or it has to, I I think that's wrong. Um, I think a state court can can hear a case under federal law, um, but people tend to think they don't. Um, Hmm. Interesting. And I do, I do have the, you know, I do see the tendency that if if someone gets an indictment Mm
0: -hmm.
3: or an arrest with what's called an information, which is less formal, um, the prosecutors tend to think that they are, the prosecutor in the court tends to think that they are obligated to follow through. When I I think the U.S. attorney should say, okay, now let's take a look at that, uh, say, no, I'm not doing this. But if the FBI arrests somebody, the mm-hmm. assumption is that it has to be uh it has to be um followed through to the you know, to the end to the bitter end. And I think that's wrong, but because the FBI is, is supposed to be able well, even even today it's supposed to um be able to arrest someone, but it's up to the prosecutor to decide whether to follow through and I mean a prosecutor has prosecutorial discretion mm-hmm. the FBI is no prosecutor i mean they they they're not prosecutors, so the prosecutor should be able to say nah, I think you you screwed up on this one but anyway so so you you asked i think you may have asked something else too, but
1: well, no, just that uh, the difference between a state compact doing this and the federal government uh, doing it, if it's strictly limited to uh, investigation uh, powers, like I say, fingerprints, profiling, you know, DNA records, things like that. So, like a storehouse that the the states can use in their criminal prosecutions. I could. That's tolerable. That's okay. That's acceptable. But it's not ideal. Ideal would be the states have their own organization that does that, well, independent of the federal government.
2: States don't. Your states don't have it. If, if kidnapping. Crimes against children, bank robberies, the ones you mentioned about counterfeiting, that's those are federal crimes. Now, you can, and murder, murder is not only a state crime but it's also a federal crime, and it depends on how it go whether the federal will uh, make charges. Also, FBI are in these areas because they have these. These uh, district offices, like D.C. district offices, you got the one in the, in the South, and so on. So, and I think these offices follow the uh, Federal Reserve zones, I believe. I'm not sure, but that's what gives well, that's them the power to be able to do that. See, yeah. the problem with the FBI is that it has been politicized and it's being used by politicians. That's the problem. If they stick to their normal duties and what they are good at, it wouldn't be no problem. But the problem yeah, is but they that statue and concern is that the political way that they've been used.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah. no, I understand your point. I just, I just disagree with it. I think that it, this should be done at the state level and a state's cooperative level. I don't think the state's cooperate enough on areas. that the, the Constitution clearly says there are only three crimes the government, the federal government can have anything to do with, and that's treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. Everything else is a state uh, you know, state responsibility for the 10th Amendment. Let me just spend a couple of minutes here. On, I'm going to take a break here in just a second. Uh, the last thing is uh, on this Sheila Jackson Lee bill. You said how dangerous it was. Do you want to take that up next week, Jonathan, or do you want to spend a couple of minutes talking about H.R. 61?
3: Well, that, that's
1: what it is, right? Mhm. I got it right here in front of me. I mean, to prevent and prosecute to... white supremacy inspired but... hate crime and conspiracy to commit white supremacy. I just want how's the conspiracy to commit white white supremacy anyway? Inspired hate crime into to amend Title 18 U.S. Uh, code to expand the scope of hate crime. So in other words, basically, this is the anti-white supremacy law. <laughs> Which now here's what's interesting. Not, doesn't you know every bill I've ever seen always has definitions. Okay, so the one thing conspicuously absent from this bill is definitions. There is no definition of white supremacy. Right. There is no definition <laughs> of hate crime. There's no definition of anything that would lead you to actually understand what the hell she is talking about, other than the fact that she hates white people. Jonathan. Right.
3: She she's saying. I mean, the, the bill. That's why I'm saying it. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I should start out with why it's dangerous or why it's why it's sneaky. Oh, because both. I, don't care. I want to hear both. <laughs> <laughs> What's so basically? Basically, everybody. I mean, according to the Democrats, everybody is a white supremacist. Um, even black even white can people. be white. Supremacists. <laughs> You'll look at Larry Elder. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, in, in fact, my my um, you know my my belief. I mean, my belief is that racism, uh, specifically white supremacy, or whatever. You know, race it might be, is a psychological. You know, I believe in in almost all cases that I've seen on things, it is a psychological condition mm. in reaction to one's feeling of inferiority. Because I, cause I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time after nine eleven debating these these knuckleheads, mostly outside the country, uh, as far as I could tell. But but <clears throat> I mean they. I would try to just give them simple facts about 9-11 that I happened to know, and they would mm-hmm. come back with this whole Jewish conspiracy and, and, and everything like that. And um, it just became very clear to me that these are people who either know they're sinners and don't have any solution to it, mm-hmm. or they feel like failures in life, and so they want to be part of a group that's a superior group. To make up for their own lack of um, their own lack of, of self-confidence and and everything like that. My, my point being that I don't think anybody can be a supremacist of whatever kind and keep it quiet. I think they have a psychological inner craving and, and you know gnawing need to find something to cling to to make them feel good about themselves. So I think there's I think there's no such thing as a quiet white supremacist. Um, <laughs> well, I I'm still waiting for a good definition. It, um, but you know, it, I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. No but anyway, the, so so the white supremacy inspired hate crime, crime bill is just a political you know thing by Sheila Jackson Lee, and it it pretends to be, it it it, it pretends to. Outlaw a conspiracy. Now, a conspiracy is itself incredibly vague in the law. It, it is so flexible. You can be you can all you can be convicted of a conspiracy that you know you had no idea you were doing anything wrong. Um, so she wants to <clears throat> create a conspiracy to engage in white supremacy-inspired hate crime. Now, none of those things make any sense. What's a hate crime? What's mm-hmm. a white supremacy? white supremacy uh, but um, the the the, def, the the type of conspiracy um is not only between two or more persons engaged in the planning development preparation or perpetration perpetuation, no perpetration of a white supremacy inspired hate crime and remember but you know today's speech is violence in today's environment but the, the second part of well, H.R. 61 is B, at least one of whom published material advancing white supremacy, white supremacist ideology, antagonism based on re- replacement ther- th- theory, which of course comes from the Democrats, mm-hmm. or hate what they're trying to, they're trying to pin on, Repu- on Republicans and conservatives, even though it came from <clears throat> the left, or hate spe- speech that vilifies or is otherwise directed against any non-white person or group. So under this, under this trick of claiming it's a conspiracy, it's all about speech. It says, and it was, it was published on a social media platform or by other means of publication, with the likelihood that it will be viewed by persons who are predisposed to engaging in any action in furtherance of a white supremacy-inspired hate crime, who are susceptible to being encouraged to engage. So this is all about silencing people. It, it says <clears throat> it was read, heard, or viewed by a person who engaged. Now, how do you know if somebody, okay, here again, it it, it has to be published that with a likelihood, not a certainty, mm-hmm. a likelihood that it will be viewed by persons who are predisposed. How do you know who's predisposed? <laughs> that lady is
2: that lady is about as ignorant as you can get. Now, on this thing about racism, that racism is nothing more than an act that is perpetrated to violate a U.S. citizen's civil rights. It has no respect for skin color, but the way they narrate it, it does.
3: This oh, thing about God.
2: white supremacy. What is black supremacy? Have you read The Final Call lately? Is that a publication? Read the back of it.
1: Right. Well, and this is the thing, too. This is, this is incredibly racist, you know, the, the idea that there's only white supremacy. I don't know how one exactly practices white supremacy. You know, I know the classic way that the, the, the Nazis did it, the Aryans did it, you know, that there's a master race, uh, everybody else should be exterminated, and that uh, you bring about a Holocaust to do it. That's how they practice white supremacy. But well, these blacks have
2: that same thought. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> well, any you know what white supremacy is? White supremacy, that's, that's, is? White supremacy what, is when you – let me give you the definition of white supremacy. The industry that I was in still erection, well, uh-huh. I was probably the only black in in my area, my region. The uh-huh. rest of the people that owned companies doing it was white. So white supreme in that industry. Now, it didn't say I could not get into it. So I say that if you don't like white supremacy, then compete against it. White supremacy is when you have equity finance control, when you have leveraged buyouts, when you have offshore oil well drilling until the Nigerians came on the scene. That's white (laughs) supremacy. All these other things are just ideology and and folly thoughts.
1: See, I think there's a difference between – it's a good point you're making, but it's a difference between white preeminence and white supremacy. So white preeminence would be most of the people involved in the industry are white. OK, that's white preeminence. White supremacy would be if all the white, you know, uh, people involved in an industry kept everybody else out who weren't white. That would be white supremacy. And so I think that I want to get Jonathan's uh, take on this, too, because to me, if you're going to engage in white supremacy, you, you know, this is a leftist uh, thing solely because it requires totalitarian government action. OK, people kind of they can think white supremacy on their own. They can commit acts, uh, criminal acts on their own. They can commit 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 uh, interracial criminal acts on their own, but the only way for for white supremacy to really exist is is by a totalitarian government, because that's the only way that uh, the the white race would be supreme over all other races uh, in a given area. Just as a black race, you know, if a black race were predominant in a country and wanted to get rid of all the white people in their country, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely you know? right. So so that's that's the difference I make. Government inspired. Right, but that's what makes it leftist. And here's the thing that's missing from the argument, uh, and I'll get to Jonathan's point of view uh, on this, is that supremacy, by definition, by, by this definition, has to come from a totalitarian government. Otherwise, they're not going to be the objective. So the, the objective, I think, of white supremacy is to remove everybody from the United States who's not white. Absurd though that is, insane though that is, irrational though that is, I think this is what these people believe. And because it requires totalitarian action, the only real white supremacists are leftists, just like the Nazis. Jonathan,
3: it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I think that <clears throat> I think that's true. Okay. I mean, it kind of it kind of goes back to I think the when we talked about the Emancipation Proclamation, <clears throat> because well, I mean it's tricky. I mean all all, all these things you know are, are important, but l- let's say you say um, that. Um, you know, a, a a plantation owner says, "Well, I own you," and mm-hmm. and 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 the and the, the uh, slaves say, "Forget this! I'm walking off! The, I'm walking away!" Yeah, like like you're saying, the only way it works, and, the, and the Hold been. on, Piyaki. done it.
1: Hold on, Piyaki. No, no, I don't want to get to this point. Go ahead, Jonathan.
3: Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like the only way it works is if there's a government that will that will enforce it and mm-hmm. arrest them and and bring them back. That was, that was my so, point. I mean, so, yeah, and what
1: she's enforcing it, it, is government supremacy in under the guise of alleged racism. you um, make your point. Then I got something interesting that that um, that Johnson said about uh, inferiority that well, I think applies got, to Chile personally. Uh, Go ahead, Jackie,
2: you have groups of blacks that buying land. What you fine. But when you read in their uh, when you read in their description, they're buying this land to have a all-black town that they can feel free and safe in. Well, you can't have no all-black town. Purportedly, by law, anyone can move into it in the United States. So Mm -hmm. now, is that a conspiracy to implement black supremacy?
1: Jonathan? It's an interesting question. Well,
3: if you took took this law, H.R. 61... <clears throat> and you changed white to black, or just took out color. It, mm-hmm. That would be a conspiracy because that would, because it would be, an, and I, I mean, it would make. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Don't get me wrong, but it would be um, a substantial step towards um, towards that, towards um, you know, a black supremacy plan. Well, it also implies that only whites can be
1: can practice supremacy, <laughs> which is absurd. You know, because Bianchi just talked about this. Now, if a, if a town wants to encourage black membership in the town, that's great. I don't care. Can they allow white people from living there? No, because <laughs> that goes against housing laws. All right, let me, um, let, me uh, let me let me hold up on this for this is this is a fascinating case. Uh, uh, okay, so I want to spend more time on it, but I want to take a quick break and then I want to come back and talk about the World Economic Forum because I want to cover each day of what I'm calling the the, the world ending forum. And so, so we'll get to our our, 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 you know, take a quick break here. Go grab some coffee. Back in about three or four minutes, and let's let's dig into what's going on in Davos because I want to cover this every day. This, these people are so dangerous. You want to talk about supremacy? These people are the worst world government terrorists that I've ever seen, and I think they need to be stopped. And I'm not sure how, but we got to do something about it. So, I'll play a couple commercials, and we will be right back. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance? pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Care, and now as an affiliate of Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. GraveCare saves you both time and money. through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with MyPillow and now goes to MyCoffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L which stands for write your laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com/wyl. That's mypillow.com/wyl or order now by calling 1-800 That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going, an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. Okay, we're back. I've got uh, Pianchi and Jonathan and just a couple of uh, housekeeping notes. Very special guest Thursday, Robert Spencer of Jihad Watch uh, is going to be with us in the nine o'clock hour uh, on uh, this Thursday. And then Wednesday, I have Jerome Bell, uh, who ran for Congress uh, partially on our citizen legislation, uh, particularly our, our constitutional amendment to uh, stop Congress from borrowing money uh, and, and various other things like that. So he'll be here as well. And he's one of our biggest uh, uh, boosters. The only two people that did this uh, Calvin Wimdish and uh, and uh, Jerome Bell, um, hoping to get them actually both on the same show. But Jerome's coming back Wednesday, so there's a couple of housekeeping notes. Also, if you want to help us out here, give send dot com slash action radio. Give send dot com slash action radio, so we can do what we do best, which is provide the best guess, the best information, and the world's only citizen legislative forum uh, attached to a radio show. So that's what we do. So the news <laughs> of the day goes to, uh, goes to uh, Europe now. You guys, you need to mute yourselves when you're not on the air <laughs> until I bring you back. I could mute you too, but I just yeah, I figured you guys would. All right. So let me go a little bit of the World Economic Forum. The, the beauty of the World Economic Forum, like most dictatorial tyrants, is that they're arrogant, and they want to tell you what they're doing. And they want to brag, and they think that uh, because they're so bright and wonderful and the, the best of everything that you will just willingly go along with them. And so they present all this stuff right out in the open. So they're not hiding anything of what they're doing, which is really great because it gives you incredible insight into them. So I just want to go through what uh, their about section and just uh, talk about what the World Economic Forum is. And I'll bring my, uh, my folks back, Bianchi and Jonathan, we'll talk about this, this meeting in Switzerland. It's going on all week. And it's got some very interesting people. I've got the guest list. Uh, the information I'm posting on the World Economic Forum is all at our international page. So it's the Action Radio International News Group. That's the Action Radio International News Group. Everything about World Economic Forum is going to be posted there. So you have one. It's a public group, so anybody can go there and, and see what we've got. So from the World Economic Forum's own website, uh, weforum.org. <laughs> that's it. Weforum. That's what they call themselves, the World Economic Forum, or as I'm calling it, the World Ending. Forum, says this. The World Economic Forum is the international organization for public-private cooperation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the definition of fascism. There it is right there, their very first line, an international organization for public-private cooperation. In other words, the merging of the public and the private into one world government entity to control you. Again, the definition of fascism in their opening sentence. Next point. This this forum engages the foremost political, business, cultural, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. In other words, the elites are going to control you. That's what they're about. They're about the elites, who they consider. In other words, those that agree with them on climate change and sustainable food like bugs uh, and no property and population control. All the people who agree with them, in other words, the elites uh, from politics, business, and culture, are gathering together to shape are you ready for this global regional and industry agendas so industry is required is it, so what's missing is the individual what's missing is individual rights individual accomplishment entrepreneurship the accumulation of property the idea of expressing individual ideas this is the collective this is a total group you know dedicated to the collective there is no individual anything in the world economic forum These people are the most dangerous world terrorists on the face of the earth today. I'm convinced of it. Then they say it was established in 1971 as a not-for-profit foundation. (laughs) That's for sure. Uh, And it's headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. It is independent, impartial, and not tied to any special interests. Oh, give me a break. They are exactly the opposite. They are world-dependent. They are completely partial, and they are tied to nothing but special interests. Then it says, the forum strives in all its efforts to demonstrate entrepreneurship in the global public interest. Let me rephrase that in English. Only the industries that they want are going to be promoted. Nothing else can happen. If they don't want an invention, you're not going to have it. If if they don't want gasoline cars, you're not going to have them. If they don't want gas stoves, natural gas, you're not going to have them. You're not going to have anything that they don't want because it's the global public interest. And who determines the global public interest? They do, of course. All right, so that's what this is about, about halfway done. I'll be done here in just a minute. While upholding the highest standards of governance, what are the standards of governance? Who determines the standards of governance? They do. You know, who determines what your freedom is, what, your, what you can do, how you can operate, what your rights are? They do because they have, as they say, moral and intellectual integrity, which is at the heart of everything they do. So let me read that again. They say moral and intellectual integrity is at the heart of everything it does. In other words, them, the World Economic Forum. This thing is just a total lie. Then it says our activities are shaped by a unique institutional culture, In other words, away from the individual, founded on the stakeholder theory. I'm going to get Jonathan to explain what stakeholder is because I'm not still clear on that definition yet. Then it says, which asserts that an organization is accountable to all parts of society. This is straight out of the Fountainhead. This is out of Ayn Rand's worst nightmare. This is out of 1984, that you as an individual are accountable to their groups, accountable to society as a whole, and that nobody can do anything that isn't authorized by the collective. They then say the institution carefully blends and balances the best of many kinds of organizations from both the public and private sectors, in other words, fascism, international organizations, in other words, world government, and academic institutions, in other words, propaganda centers. We believe that progress, they say, happens by bringing together people from all walks of life who have the drive and the influence to make positive change, again, according to them. And then they have the latest annual report and things like that. Given this fascist manifesto that I've just read, um, Jonathan, comments. I don't get Pianchi's comments. I'm curious. These people are scary.
3: Yeah, well, no, it's interesting that, that <clears throat> you point out, and I think what you read points out, how tone deaf they are, how, co- how totally indoctrinated in their own self-importance they are that they can't understand, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. what they're actually saying. I mean, they're they're way down the rabbit hole, in other words, in uh, Alice in Wonderland terminology. Um, I don't know what else to say. I mean, stakeholders is, of course, a liberal um, idea, which is to say that, you know, that, which is a war. Stakeholder discussion is a war on private property. It's a war on ownership. You know, it's like, so if... um, Well, I mean, I can't even think, you know, so so if I own um, a gas station and somebody wants to fill up at my gas station, then they, you know, they have equal rights with the person who owns it. Hmm.
1: Interesting. But I think it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. I'm going to make sure we get it uh, uh, all accounted for here.
3: These people, I mean, people who are totally convinced of what they believe are really not able to keep it to themselves. Can't. In to. fact, Jesus said, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If they talk long enough, they will tell you, yep. you know, how messed up they are, what they're really doing. Oh, it's a weird bunch. I'm looking
1: for the guest list right now. I think I, I have uh, I have too many sites here up on my uh, up on my board to find some of the things I'm looking for. But uh it's uh I, I've got different countries, different things like that. But I want to just get your feelings on it. Pianchi, what uh, have you We got another you to one called Pianchi?
2: D voice Another uh council a meeting called D voice And uh, they do have interest in, they do have interest in population control because uh <clears throat> Several Well, when Al Gore was uh, on the stage, he made a statement at a divorce conference directed at Nigeria and wanted them to get control over their population. Mm -hmm. At the present rate of Nigeria's expansion, they would be the second largest population on the planet, surpassing China by the end of this century. So he did make that statement.
1: Well, that's interesting. Let me see if I can find my guest list here of, of who's uh, – Ah, here we go. Found it. Let's pull, let's pull this up here and bring back my, my main screen. So i got some of the guests that are, that are here at this little little gathering. Um, it's quite an interesting. And this is just the American guests. John F. Kerry, Special Presidential Envoy for Climate of the United States. Catherine Tai, UN, United States Trade Representative. Uh, I've never heard of her. Where, where Anybody know where she's a representative of or to? I mean, does yeah. she go to China and stuff like that, or who, what does she do? I don't know. Okay. Martin Walsh, Secretary of Labor of the United States. Piaki, Jonathan? He's setting all the labor well, policy. He does all the unemployment things. He does the stats and stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what business he would have being there, but.
1: Well, here's another one. Samantha Power, Administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development. She's as corrupt as it comes. She's, she's been one in the State of, Department. Yeah. Pianchi?
2: She's one of the three wicked witches of the West. Hillary, Samantha Power, and uh, one could say Susan Rice.
1: Yeah, aren't they uh, Obama's advisors? <laughs> you know, his like secret cabinet? Yeah. Okay. Good insight. Avril Haynes, U.S. Director of National Intelligence. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> we, got our, we got our intelligence people participating in the in the world ending forum. Here's my favorite. Christopher Ray, director of Federal Bureau of Investigation, on a topic we just covered in the previous hour and some of this hour. Brian how they get
2: into other countries.
1: Well see now that's that's see, I, I know what you're saying. I know they do it, but it's wrong. They have no jurisdiction in other countries. The FBI uh, has absolutely no jurisdiction beyond the US border. I don't think they have jurisdiction at all, but that's just but the idea that they're in other countries is insane. Now, I know they're doing it for domestic terrorism reasons, but the Patriot Act, uh, something we should talk about, too, that that is one of the most – the worst domestic spying operations going. And the powers that the government gave themselves under the Patriot Act and to spy on other people in other countries allegedly under uh, – under, uh, I mean, isn't they, that how the Steel dossier their, was created? Isn't that – we get the Steel yeah, dossier get and get the whole Russia hoax treaty. with the FBI? Was that by treaty? They get there by treaty, correct. So is You'd this, be surprised. Uh,
2: see, if you could ever open up a treaty and see what's all in it, you'd be very, very surprised.
1: Well, we'll, we'll let's talk about that. let me send me some treaties, the ones that you find particularly egregious. And let's talk about it. It's a good point. It's it, you know, I think it's well worth exploring because I, I don't know all the
2: treaties. i tell Here's you one. one. Go ahead. Uh, Brittany Griner had nine years to serve in Russia, and the other guy, I don't know how many years he had to serve here, the Russian. Oh, the, weapon, the weapons so guy? So they switched, then— In some cases, treaties say that, well, if we bring the American back, we will keep them in prison to serve out the rest of the time that you had imposed upon them in your country and vice versa. That's treaty.
1: That didn't happen. (laughs) She's out. Or he's out. I'm not sure whoever they are. Interesting. Okay. Like I said, I I don't want to do it now. I want to spend more time with these these dangerous people. I got a huge article on food that you're you're not going to believe. Brian Kemp. Of all the governors to be there, Brian Kemp of Georgia? the person that threw the election against Trump. Christopher Coons, Dem- Dem- Senator from Delaware, Democrat. Well, I expect him to be there. This was a surprise. Daryl Issa. I thought he was a decent guy. Congressman from California, Republican. Gregory Meeks, Congre- Congressman from New York, Democrat. That's understandable. Gretchen Whitmer, you know, Miss, I'll enforce everything I can under COVID uh, and be a dictator. She's, Governor, the, uh,
2: she's Michigan, there. She's there.
1: Yep. she? Yep, from She's there. She's, a, she's at the World Economic Forum, World Ending Forum. Excuse me. J.B. Pritzker, who just violated the Constitution, the Second Amendment, yet again. He's there. Uh, James Risch, senator from Idaho. Don't know him. Joe Manchin. I'm surprised he's there. Democrat from for Virginia. I guess they're going to try and re-educate him along with Kirsten Sinema to, to mend their ways and go back to being good fascists for the Democrat Party. Maria Cantwell, Senator from Washington, Democrat, of course. Maria Elvira Salazar, Congresswoman from Florida, Republican. Well, nobody's perfect. Mike Gallagher, uh, Congresswoman from Wisconsin, Republican again. M- uh, Mickey Sherrill, Congresswoman from New Jersey, Democrat. And Seth Moulton, Congresswoman from Massachusetts, Democrat. So there's a fair amount of Republicans there. So proving once again the deep state is alive and well in both parties. That is your official guest list, <laughs> you know, for the, the, the world ending forum. See,
2: now you'd want it. Now you now we start to put the uh, pieces of the puzzle together and uh, have our bloodhounds on the trail. Okay. These people are acting a certain way because they are receiving our potential of them receiving certain benefits.
1: Hmm. Interesting. They've got a reward ceremony. The Crystal Award ceremony is taking place today. So today's agenda, January 16th, at the World Ending Forum. It says at the opening ceremony of the World Ending Forum, my words, uh, the winners of the 28th Annual Crystal Awards. I've never heard of these. This year's awardees are four exceptional cultural leaders, in other words, brainwashers and propagandists, who are being honored for their work to promote environmental conservati- conservation, food security, climate change, mental health, and education. Let me read that again. They're being awarded for environmental conservation, food security. This is the this one is I'm going to explore, right? Climate change and mental health and education. See if you know any of these people, either Jonathan or Pianchi. Hilde Schwab, chairperson and co-founder Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship, uh, World Economic Forum, Geneva. Okay, gentlemen, what the hell is social entrepreneurship? Is that not an oxymoron? Pianchi.
2: Well, it has to do with socialism, uh, getting people out of the capitalist and corporate system, starting mm-hmm. your own uh, business to compete. I mean, any of those things.
1: So could I do action radio under a social entrepreneurship system?
2: Sure, if you're talking climate change, if you're talking <laughs> uh, getting rid of carbon producing fuels. Yeah, exactly.
1: Needless to say, I have not been invited to the World Ending Forum, probably because I start calling it the World Ending Forum. Renee Fleming... Artistic Advisor, John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. (laughs) That's where all the the government artists go to perform. Sabrina Dower Elba, United Nations International Fund for Agricultural Development. There's food security. Goodwill Ambassador, International Fund for Agricultural Development. Idris Elba. Now, I don't know who this is. Apparently, this is a British actor. I thought with the name Idris, it it was a chick, but apparently it's a dude. Entrepreneur, actor, musician, UNIFAD, Goodwill Ambassador. Do either of you know Idris Elba? No. Jackie. No. Okay. Now, what's the category. category here? This is Crystal what's Awards. The These are the Crystal Awards. They're being awarded today. This is what's going on at the World Ending Forum. And Maya Lin, artist and environmentalist. <laughs> this is what, what they're are doing they for being, fun today. What are they being rewarded
3: for?
1: Uh, environmental conservation, food security, climate change, and mental health and education.
3: No, but they're being they're being awarded for their public... For efforts, right?
1: I don't know. I just uh, they're being awarded for, I guess, being the, the things that uh, that come with the the uh, the World Economic Forum.
3: No, they but they being a, I thought you were awarded for for their social activism, and we've never heard of them.
2: <laughs> That's a great point too. I,
3: yeah, yeah, basically, I've never heard of them.
1: Apparently, the World Economic Forum has. They have a concert too. It's called ICU, and the SEA ICU. The opening concert entitled ICU is a powerful cultural message of unity and collaboration and a call to action to world leaders and policymakers to implement the appropriate and required agreements to protect the appropriate and re- the appropriate and required agreements. Listen to this to protect and preserve the coral reefs of the northern Red Sea.
2: <laughs> That's
1: what they're doing today. I'm sorry. This is funny. Uh, then we have the open forum in harmony with nature. Let me oh, read you. Uh, go ahead.
2: It might be funny, but you better take it serious.
1: I do take it seriously, but I still make fun of them. I still ridicule them because they are dangerous.
2: You know who the last obstacle is, don't you? Well, actually, it's two: Russia and the United States. But uh, the only thing that they the, – the thing that we have going for us is the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. It's the supreme law. If they were right. dealing with a state, if they were dealing with uh, a department – they will run right through it with bribes and so on and so on. Yep. In fact, the people uh, have the liberties of protecting themselves.
1: Yeah. Jonathan?
0: No, I...
3: It sounds like when Chris says that these people give lucite blocks to each other, What's that? Because again, I've never heard of these people, so it sounds like <clears throat> sounds like there may be more than meets the eye as to why these people are getting getting lucite blocks. Because I've never heard of them, and so they've they've done something behind the scenes that that why they're getting rewarded. I think I I don't know what. That well is, that's only so. part of it let me uh, let me go to another thing I found here and we've got
1: uh, articles workforce and employment women in work how governments and companies in Latin America are closing gender gaps that's one article the next this is, this is under the heading our impact then they have uh, trade and investment removing trade barriers in the developing world they have plastics in the environment accelerating reuse models to achieve a world free of plastic waste. <laughs> So plastic is next, folks. That's the next thing they're going to get rid of. Then they have the Ukraine section, delivering life-saving supplies to countries facing humanitarian crisis. Actually, it's more of a political and a war crisis. And the one I wanted to focus on, agriculture, food, and beverage, okay? Farms to food markets, providing solutions and collective action for sustainable food systems. Now, can anybody for the life of them tell me what a, uh, what a food system is? What's a food system? You guys, Have you heard stuff like this?
2: Uh, I've heard a food system.
1: Well, What's a food system?
2: Like school lunch programs? <laughs> I don't think that's what they're talking about here. Yeah, is Here's that a... a, is that a-
1: <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead, Jonathan. What's the question?
3: Uh, so a food system, is that a McDonald's or a Taco Bell? or No, it, mean, it means that... I mean, leftists depend upon... Redefining everything okay so so we, so a food system is redefining you know nothing is what you think it is. it's like uh, pay no attention to your eyes, pay attention to what we're trying to tell you um, <clears throat> you know so it, it, it's about um it's about how it all fits together in their minds not not what you not what the average person thinks.
2: Like uh, your school lunch program where pizza is categorized as a vegetable. No, is it?
0: <laughs> I have no reason me,
2: to lie. Well, because
1: well, well, there's like, you know, pepperoni actually be a meat and a vegetable because you've got pepperoni and uh, maybe onions on it. Let me, um, let me give you some more details on this article. It says the world may be facing the worst food crisis in decades. Well, there's reasons for that. They're cutting the nitrogen fertilizer. They're taking the carbon dioxide out of the air that plants need to breathe. They're, they're blowing up food processing plants. They're cutting the supply chains. They're, ruin, they're, they're ruining everything that uh, gets us food. So this is a completely self imposed crisis by them so they can bring about a solution. It's like blowing up the Reichstag in Germany, saying we better elect Hitler and solve all the political problems when Hitler's going to blow up the Reichstag. This is exactly the same thing. This is like the food Reichstag. That's a good,
3: that's a good way to put it. Um, but see the thing is, these leftists—they always assume that they're smart and everybody else is stupid. Mm-hmm. So, so every, they blunder over and over and over again by thinking that 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 they're they're talking about people who that they're talking that they can fool people. And, and the reality is, is every time, like for example, we get these tweets from the White House and everything else about. You know, but but everybody who goes to the grocery store, mm-hmm. no, knows, knows what the economy is like. You can't mm. you can't fool people, who who have to, for you know, fork out the money. Um, so, right now the big you know the big issue is the price of eggs. Yep. So they're going to tell us that <clears throat> yeah that they're. Doing all these things but it's the price it's the price of eggs that uh you know may decide the next election I mean, that's interesting yeah eat, i've so. heard
1: bird flu but uh price of eggs have gone up at least 50 percent, probably more like 70 percent, given you know the last couple of years let me give you a couple more points here we're sort of running out of time but it says the the food action alliance supports 19 flagship initiatives that are transforming sustainable food systems it says over 35 partners are engaged in providing healthy nutritious safe uh, and safe foods in ways that safeguard our planet. So in other words, food is not good uh, unless they say it's healthy, nutritious and safe. Now what the hell are safe foods? Okay? That's the question we want to explore here. Let me get to let me get this paragraph here and then there's a video it's got background music. I can actually read what they say in it. This is going to shock the hell out of you. All right. So he says, the, they, they say, this is the World Economic Forum, which I'm calling the World Ending Forum, the impact of improving sustainable food systems. All right. From the Colombian Amazon to Southern Africa, the Food Action Alliance, the FAA, <laughs> sorry, I think that's funny, right, hosted the World Economic Forum, hosted by the World Economic Forum, is transforming the way food is produced, processed, consumed, and disposed of through multi-stakeholder partnerships and investments. That's the scariest thing I've heard all day. This work aims to ensure economic and social inclusion with a focus on women and youth while providing healthy, nutritious, and safe foods in a way that safeguards our planet, conserves natural resources, and builds resilience against future shocks. John, Jonathan could probably spend like half an hour just trying to dissect what that just says. Then it says the Food Action Alliance currently supports a growing portfolio of 19 flagship initiatives that are transforming and improving sustainable food systems. Examples of these projects, is, I slow down. Of these projects include transforming the dairy industry in East Africa, rolling out regenerative agricultural models and reduced food waste on farms in Colombia, increasing access to digital technologies to boost harvest in Southeast Asia. People are all over the world. The alliance is working across four hubs in Africa, Latin America, India, and Southeast Asia. Engaged stakeholders include partners from both the public and private sector, such as Cargill, UN Food and Agriculture Organization, Global Alliance, yada, 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 yada. At the World Economic Forum in 2022, the government of Rwanda joined the Food Action Alliance and stepped forward to co-lead and host the alliance's global secretariat and regional secretariat for uh, Africa in Kilgali. So here it says, what's the challenge with sustainable food systems? The world may be facing the worst food crisis in decades, caused by them, driven by the compound effects of COVID-19, again, driven by them, climate change and conflicts such as the war in Ukraine, exacerbating already skyrocketing food and energy prices and severe hunger. See, they're behind all this. So so the constant problem, I'm just about the video here, it says food systems are complex and currently unsustainable. What do you mean food systems are complex and currently unsustainable? That's a bunch of nonsense. This says enough food is produced to feed the world, but 811 million people, more than 10% of the world's population, still go to sleep hungry each night. Well, that's because of a lack of freedom, not because of a lack of food. You know, it's a, Freedom is what cures poverty. Freedom is what gets food to everybody and allows people to purchase it. Freedom is what gets farms to produce. Freedom and profit. And, of course, you never hear those words. You never hear the word freedom here. You never hear profit. You never hear individual. You never hear about anything except government coordination and control. I got the video here. Gentlemen, comments before I get started on this. It's a short video. It's only two minutes.
3: Remember that we're paying farmers in the United States not to grow food. Mm. And and the problem with, with people going hungry has to do with transportation. It's not food production it's it's using um using fossil fuels to uh drive ships to to move the the, the food around
1: Inorganic organic <laughs> fuel
3: now we've had we've had um you know so the human race is supposedly has evidence of existing in some form for 50,000 years mm-hmm. but now they have to invent food <laughs> After, after fifty thousand years, of the human race. Right. We need them to tell us how to grow food.
1: Is that when agriculture started fifty thousand years ago? Is that what the, the, well, the rough approximation?
3: Um, we you before that. You the, the yeah, but um, I I don't think yes I I don't think the I don't think the gap of purely hunting without. I mean, I, when, when identifiable humans, Homo sapiens, arose, I think it's fair to say that that there was some level of of agriculture, pretty coming pretty pretty fast behind it. Um, but um, I you know, well, you yeah, had hunter gatherers,
1: in- right? You had naturally occurring plants, and you had uh, you know prey. You know, so you had animals. You had hunters. So so if you go back, to Magnon, which is not Cro-Magnon, cro and Neanderthal or Neanderthal, depending on how you pronounce it. Uh, they were hunter-gatherers, and they—I uh, don't think they had established agriculture. But wasn't Cro-Magnon the, the last, you know, human species before Homo sapien, us? And and did they have any agriculture at all? Did they plant any seeds? I mean, I don't know. And this is, you know, I'm just curious, I'm trying to establish how old well agriculture I, is.
3: I think I think they did, but probably not as a, you know. Not that you would see patterns in the in the ground of you know organized pretty farms, but I think mm-hmm. um, you know. But I, that that's a that's an interesting question. I don't know.
1: Well, what about uh, plants that go? I mean, there've been apple trees before there were people, <laughs> probably. So if you come upon an apple tree and next to it, uh, you know, another fruit tree or, or nut tree or things like that, you know, as people are wandering you know, the various places and, you know, the, the plants that occur naturally and the potatoes were here and corn was here and, you know, uh, avocados were here and almonds were here. All these things were already here. They didn't just suddenly spring up when, when people showed up. So they, I'm sure there were places where these, now they were grown and they weren't grown like in the apple orchard. I mean, the plants all mixed together for biodiversity because it ensured their survival better. Uh, But these things were already here. Yeah. Well, that's
3: what I'm saying is, Is that we our food? What our food situation has sustained has sustained the the human race for 50,000 years, but now they have to make it sustainable.
1: That's that's brilliant. That is exactly the problem. Well, let me let me read this. I'm going to read. This is just a a music thing with a bunch of uh, things, and I can read it. So you're probably going to hear some background music. um, But here's the title of this video: Four new foods that cut your dinner's carbon footprint. You want to hear that again? Four new foods. That cut your, your your dinner's carbon footprint, Pianki, do you want your, your carbon, you want your dinner uh, carbon footprint cut? The end of that?
2: <laughs> I wouldn't know how to begin.
1: <laughs> let me just let me, let me play this video. I'll just read, I'll read the things as they come up. Four new foods that cut your dinner's carbon footprint From the World Economic Forum. Air protein: number one: special microbes are used to transform waste, CO2, into protein. This mixture is harvested, purified, and dried into flour, then turned into a variety of meat substitutes. Done properly, this is number two. This 100% vegan protein is grown from mycelium, the root system of mushrooms. It can be colored, flavored, and textured any way you like. It takes only 48 hours to produce and uses 35 times less CO2 than beef. Number three, solene. Made from a natural single-cell organism grown in a fermentation process using electricity, the cells are fed CO2, uh, hydrogen, and minerals, creating a protein with all the essential amino acids. Four, eat just. This lab-cultured meat is grown from cells taken from live animals. In 2020, it became the first lab-grown meat to be declared fit for sale. Food production generates more than a third of the man-made greenhouse gas emissions. Air protein and done properly are Uplink circular economy innovators. How green is your diet? For more information helping to solve the world's challenges, visit Uplink from the World Economic Forum. Your champions of food system control. Oh, that was me. (laughs) You guys want some mycelium? Do you want some air protein? You guys want your uh, your meat substitute, chemically grown in a lab with all the essential amino acids? Don't you feel better?
3: Um. I mean, the thing the thing that strikes me there is I want to go into the fact that there's no such thing as man-made global warming, but that's you know that's
1: you know they didn't say that in the
3: video, Jonathan.
1: They didn't say that carbon dioxide is essential for plant growth either. They didn't say that nitrogen, which is 72% of the air, uh, makes most of the fertilizers that, that uh, engage in most of the food pollution, uh, not pollution, food production, uh, and feed you know, most of the world's people come from fertilizer-generated agricultural products. <clears throat> they seem to miss that little step.
3: Well, what, what these eggheads are going to do, because they don't know what's going on with our climate, is just put us into another ice age. Interesting. But anyway,
1: no, no, no. It's just, we only have a few minutes left. I'm just going to finish up on this this last little bit, and then we'll be. Uh, um, well, I'm mean, to make sure I cover this one article. Uh, well, let me just start here. Jack, do you have a comment on this, or, or should I continue? No, sir. It's uh, all news to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. As of like yesterday. They say the global food system is one of the world's largest sources of greenhouse gases, which we know are a bunch of farce, right? Globally, food production is linked to 70% of biodiversity loss of land on land. Wait a minute. So in other words, when land is in agriculture, it's lost? <laughs> As the human population grows, these impacts will only increase. Sustainably nourishing a global population of 9.7 billion by 2050 while meeting the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, <laughs> I never heard of that. Will require food systems that are inclusive, sustainable, efficient, nutritious, and healthy. I guess this is like food equity. They say our approach to sustainable food. The Food Action Alliance was launched during the Sustainable Development Impact. Oh, it was sustainable. Okay. Forum. Okay. Flagship initiatives supported by the Alliance contribute to tangible impact on food systems in multiple ways, including promoting human health, planetary health, streamlining value chains. Huh? improving livelihoods, oh really, and pushing forward country-led initiatives that strengthen local food systems. It says, oh, this is, here's a quote by Barry Martin, chair of the Food Action Alliance Steering Committee and member of the Managing Board at uh, Rabobank. Food systems need to feed a growing population within planetary boundaries. The urgently required transformation of our food systems rests on effective multi-stakeholder collaboration. The Food Action Alliance provides a unique platform to facilitate this collaboration by bringing in a strong and diverse set of partners. It accelerates innovative food systems initiatives, supporting national pathways, integration of value chains and ecosystem enablers. <laughs> I don't want any part of any of that. I'm sorry. I don't I just, just stay away from me, stay away from my food, stay away from me, leave me alone. These people are psychotic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is only the beginning of the article. And this is one well the man like, go ahead we've
3: we've got no time, but if we, if we've never measured the temperature of the earth how how do they know when they've overshot
1: yeah they're just they're just assuming things that aren't in evidence. We can go over time a little bit now, what I found out is is that once the time runs out in one hour and one minute and six seconds um the the live show cuts out but we, but it'll still be recorded in the podcast. But uh, yeah, so that's the World Economic Forum for today. Uh, They've got this and they've got, let me just give this one last bit here, the open forum in harmony with nature. Climate change is an undeniable reality. That's not true. Current lifestyles and organizational practices need to change if we hope to restore the health of the planet and protect the well-being of current and future generations. That's not true either. How do we mobilize action towards climate positive lifestyles? And we have speakers, Alwa Zwingi, Managing Director, World Economic Forum, Hindu Omuro Ibrahim, President Association for Indigenous Women and Peoples of Chad, Bastien Girod, Member of the National Council, Swiss Parliament, Gail Whiteman, this is like all women, (laughs) Professor of Sustainability, University of Exeter Business School, Jenny Davis-Parkud, Partner, Global Practice Leader, uh, Sustainability and Reliability Practice, Bain & Company. Isn't Bain Capital Romney's company? B-A-I-N? Isn't that Mitt Romney's company? What are they doing there? That stuck out. Emily Renault, scout, Basandias, I don't know who that is, Marina Silva, Minister of Economic and Climate Change. They have a Minister of Economic, no, excuse me, Minister of Environment and Climate Change, Ministry of Environment and Climate Change of Brazil. Well, she wouldn't be there if Bolsonaro was in charge, I'll tell you that. They wouldn't have anything to do with this. That's Luna. There's what happens. There's a consequence of an election. So in summary, that's what they're doing today at the World Ending Forum. They're devising ways to take our food away, create a food system that's sustainable, and have these, these weird protein laboratory-grown powders that they are going to form into food-like substances, and that's all we're going to eat. That's what I get from today's agenda at the World Ending Forum, Davos, Switzerland. Final comments, and then I'm going to get us out of here. This has been a great show today. I've had a, really, I've had a whole lot of fun.
3: Solent soil green is people.
1: <laughs> you ruined it. Spoiler alert. Well, it could have
2: been barbecue.
1: Roast <laughs> barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually we should call it, that's actually a brilliant thought. We should call it the Soil and Green Conference. That's really what they're doing. Did you hear the recycling people in New York and, and six other states, you can, you can be buried? and then your your contents flow into the earth and they give you the remnants back again 60 days later, they call it human composting. Have you heard about this? No. That's true. New York Post reported it. Yeah, New York just signed a bill. Human composting. Yeah. The world is a very sick place. There. They need us. Gentlemen, they need us. They need us. They need Action Radio badly. All right. We Got to go?
3: Yeah. I okay. guess they'll be tomorrow.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. what I haven't figured out tomorrow yet. I'm still working on today. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you, Jonathan. Appreciate your report. Bye, Pianchi, okay, bye. okay, you take you, care. Bye. All right, Pianchi, final thoughts? Oh, Pianchi dropped too. Everybody's dropping. That's okay. Let me get out of here. Let me just uh, a couple of little housekeeping things. One, if you want to help us out here, give, send, go.com. Uh, slash Action Radio. That's our website to to help fund us and all the things that we're doing to bring you this amazing information that nobody else will do. dot Com Slash Action Radio. Our, our site that you're on right now is BlogTalkRadio. Com Slash Citizen Action. Please share this, and that will share all our shows back to the beginning. And also our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com. Writeyourlaws.com, WriteYourLaws. Com. WriteYourLaws. Com. W R I T E Y O U R L A W S. dot Com. And so, and then uh, I think that's it is as far as it goes. Tomorrow, I've got uh, Brianna Cannon and the Government Inquiry, and then we have uh, Josie Cosi with the Latina Report, and the third hour, I'm probably going to continue with uh, day two of the World Ending Forum, uh, and we'll see what happens with that, and then I'm going to play some some music for you uh, for today. I, mean, I need something a little livelier. I uh, usually have uh, we, we have our, our sex and sensuality chat, so I pl- talk, so I play things a little more mellow. Not today. <laughs> today, we have World Economic Forum. so Let me see. What's going on with my with my, I'm having a little mouse problems here just because I'm on the the, uh, the plug-in mouse. So it's a little bit different. I played that, played that, uh, played that. Let's played play this. Anyway, I will see you all tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central Time. And please share the show, share our bills, and share everything else in the meantime. Talk to you tomorrow.